Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, Owen Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalzik, and this week, Noel's on assignment, but joining me... Former guest co-host as well as fabulous uh, writer over at the AV Club and other places, Caroline Sita. Caroline, welcome back. Thank you. I'm always uh, happy to stop by here again. We have so much TV we're going to talk about this week. But, like, listeners, when I say that, I mean we have lots of thoughts. But the show list is actually beautifully manageable. I'm so happy. Yeah, it was. It was. I've done the show in the past and felt like I really needed to, like, cram things in. But this week, yeah, it was like... I actually had time to watch some movies and stuff in between all of the TV shows. <laughs> good times, good times. Instead of a uh, DVD chef, we will be diving in with Grantchester season two and a season spotlight. It's been a while since we did one of those. I thought it was about time we we uh, brought that back. And we're looking, I'm looking forward to talking about uh, Hot Vicar, right? That's what we oh, call the yeah. show? Yeah, that's the way that you got to sell it to people. Helpful because the season premiere, uh, season two premiere starts with him taking his shirt off like two minutes into the show. So yeah, an easy sell in that in that <laughs> department. Well, and maybe that's uh, a different kind of of hot. Maybe that's a nice way to do a quick plug here. Listeners, uh, if you like the shows that I like, um, that means that you like The Great British Bake Off. Uh, And The Great British Baking Show is coming back July 1st with season six of The Great British Bake Off, which is the best season. Have you seen this season? Which one is, who's in season six? I don't know. I've watched them sort of in odd places and I never know which season I'm watching. It's the most recent one. Is that the one with Tamal? Yes. Do you know what I'm talking about? Well, <laughs> I... Great love of my life, Tamal. Yes. Oh, yes. Yes, it is the one with Tamal. Yes. Yes. Great yes. season. 10 out of 10 would recommend the best show on TV, probably. Yeah, it's it's fabulous. I wrote, like, a whole love letter to The Great British Bake Off and baking and mm-hmm. all these things back when it was airing in the UK. So I'm so excited that it is starting up here. Uh, Austin Television Festival is happening mm-hmm. right now. So there's been lots of fun tweets going on about that. Uh, are, have, you, have you been before? I have not, but I've I've always wanted to go. It sounds really amazing. Yeah, I had a, a mixed experience last year, but there was some really great stuff. So I'm looking forward to hopefully some of those panels making their way in podcast form to mm-hmm. my ears. I know that the writers panel with Ben yeah. Blacker, they put out several of the panels. So the one I'm really looking forward to uh, hopefully eventually hearing is the Barrier Gaze panel. Mm-hmm. Or, sorry, Barrier Tropes panel with uh, Javi Griot-Maswatch, which is uh, I, the, the panel I would most like to be at, I think, this year. But um, I know that people are having a lot of fun at that. Uh, th- that reared its head again this week. We were talking about it last week. It reared its head again this week because... I found out that the um, Teen Choice Awards, uh, in one of their... I know this is like the... Everybody's talking about Emmys. I'm like focusing on the Teen Choice Awards. <laughs> so much about me. But they... Um, in one of their categories, it's like best shipping or best couple or best kiss. And uh, they they didn't nominate two couples that were winning all of the online polls for the... Like at Entertainment Weekly and People's Choice and all this stuff. Um, which are, of course... Clark and Lexa from The 100, as well as a couple from, I want to say, Shadowhunters. Mm-hmm. But the, and they, so they only nominated straight couples, despite, you know, the fan engagement. Yeah. Saying that certain other couples would were more deserving. Uh, and one of the couples they uh, nominated was Bellamy and Clark, 
even though they're not a couple and barely had any screen time this season. I don't know. Have, have you been following this, the 100 controversy or the, like the, the barrier gaze controversy from this year? Yeah, definitely. I don't actually watch the 100, but I've been really interested in sort of the the conversation that it sparked and, and very like proud of that fandom for, I think, sparking such an important and like intellectual conversation. I think sometimes sort of fandom in general and specifically like young women that engage in fandom, it's sort of like looked down upon. And I think that that's just so unfair. Like there's so much intelligent discussion that's happening there. And I think this is such a great example. And that's definitely like crazy to hear because in my experience of fandom, gay couples are like 100 times more popular than straight couples. Even if it's like an imagine like a slash thick couple, they're popular. And so when you do get a show that sort of like canonizes that, it seems like such a big deal. And it's insane that that an award show would, I mean, I guess the conspiracy theory theory here is that they're sort of purposefully not letting those in and that's like crazy that 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 would happen and it's crazy and also like not completely unexpected I guess which is the depressing part Mm -hmm. um but I'm glad that I guess we're in an era where these cool young fans can sort of like bring these things up and and hopefully bring more attention to it absolutely and I gotta thank the the Klexa fans out there who brought this to my attention because I was seeing some tweets about it and I was like uh I was like oh that sucks that they shut out this awesome couple I didn't realize that this couple had been winning obviously I knew that there's an incredibly strong fan mm-hmm. base for the hunter and for Klexa but I didn't realize that there had been like polls that were run for who should yeah. get nominated <laughs> and they overwhelmingly won and then that was thrown out uh so it, was, it took something that was already like an irking kind of irksome frustration and just kind of, again, I got my, my hackles up a bit. Um, but thank you very much to the 100 fans who keep keep me in the loop on all of this, because uh, unfortunately, there's been a lot to be kept in the loop about mm-hmm. this year. So please continue uh, letting me know about these things in case I in case I'm missing them. But uh, yeah, I, I absolutely agree. The way that this fan base is organized and has kept attention mm-hmm. on on an important topic has been really laudable and something that I continue to I, I would love to not be able to follow it for the rest of the year because I would love for it to not <laughs> be an issue <laughs> unfortunately I don't anticipate that did you see Mo Ryan's piece this week uh, at Variety no I didn't what was it about it was about uh, diversity in television production. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it was looking at all of the new shows that are mm-hmm. starting this fall. I believe it's all the network shows. And they are, uh, the showrunners are overwhelmingly white mm-hmm. and overwhelmingly male. I, th- I want to say it's 80% white and 70% male. And so she did a breakdown of the different, like, listing all the different shows and and the showrunners and you know so so it's just looking at this idea of diversity in television how theoretically we're in a more diverse moment and that's a great way to hear new voices and get new viewers and everything but then when you actually look at what shows are being picked up and who's being hired Mm -hmm. at the networks it's still overwhelmingly uh white dudes uh, so so I, yeah. I really appreciate the pieces that she's been doing. Because you know me, I love a stat. I love a pie graph. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's been really, you know, that's one that particularly this week I was really enjoying and, and happy to see, again, more attention to an important topic. But yeah. yeah, I think that that stuff, yeah, it is really important to not, I think that there's ways you can, kind of like you're saying, like trick people into thinking things are more diverse than they are. And one way is like, okay, let's give gay couples and then kill one of them off, which frequently happens. Or Let's give gay couples, but then not sort of give them the attention when awards run around. Or let's, you know, have diversity in the cast, but not in the actual production. And I think, I don't know, there's been, 
a big thing in the Chicago theater community, which is pretty specific to Chicago, but it was essentially about a theater company here where um, one of the sort of managers and one of the big guys in the company um, just essentially for years sort of had a very abusive way of running his theater, which transferred to like literally having abusive like romantic relationships with the women he worked with, but even more so like just having sort of abusive director relationships with the predominantly young and predominantly young women cast members he worked with. And there's a great piece in the reader that was in a the Chicago reader that was an apology from one of the critics for saying, you know, really for the past 10 years, this theater company has done nothing but works about like angry, misogynistic anti-heroes that this guy has consistently played. And so even if we didn't know the stories about the actual abuse going on, like maybe it was on us as critics to be like, well, why does this theater keep telling only one type of story? And I think when you look across Hollywood um, and the TV landscape, like even when there is diversity in the cast members or the supporting cast members, it's still you're seeing like a type of story getting told a lot. You know, people call it that all the time, but it's always that like white male antihero. And this thing in the, the beast. really. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, there's one we will be discussing uh, later in the show. Um, but I think that this piece in the reader just did a really good job of of tying that into like. Is that is that endemic of something bigger? Is that endemic of a bigger problem going on potentially behind the scenes? And I think to some extent, the Chicago you know theater was sort of an outlier um, in terms of how intense the abuse was. But I also think I don't know that really sort of made me think about diversity in a way that was like even more urgent than I've thought about it before. So if any of that sounds interesting to you, there's a really great, really great long form investigative piece in the Chicago Reader about profile theater is what it's called, um, and then a shorter piece sort of about a critic's role. In that, so those are those are things that's not directly tied to TV, but I think sort of tying into this diversity conversation, it 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 can be revealing sort of what types of stories get told. Absolutely, I had read the the expose piece, mm-hmm. but I hadn't read that follow up, so I will go check that out because I think that's really interesting. I mean, uh, for listeners who haven't read this, literally this guy was beating people up on stage mm-hmm. because it was part of the scene. Yeah. Um, into like the so into the realism of it that he was like like you said like would not maintain the safety of the fight choreography would just be like well we want it to be real so I'm gonna really throw you into this fridge and like really knock you around and really like if my character is sexually molesting you I want to get as close to that as possible just absurd things that I think happen at a only slightly less absurd level sort of everywhere else in Hollywood probably yeah and and this idea of the critics role to not just respond to yeah. art, but also look at the larger picture mm-hmm. and identify trends. And I think that's an interesting uh, topic, an interesting thing to explore. Um, and the other thing, I guess, that is not tying in with this um, theater piece, but um, you could talk about it as, as censorship and the role of journalism. Uh, did you see that interview with the lead from The Real O'Neills? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did. That was super very interesting, censored. Too. Very yeah. quickly. Very interesting. He's a young, young, openly gay actor and gave, I mean, he gave essentially the conversation that you would have when you're like, just get grabbing drinks with your friend and sort of like, you have no filter at all, like very <laughs> open about the Hollywood, like gay dating scene, about other actors and their coming out processes, about the allegations against Brian Singer. Um, mm-hmm. And then essentially like an hour after it was published, had to, had to put out these sort of apologies and then Vulture sort of went back and re-edited the piece it was a very strange it seemed like a thing where 
everyone knew the article was going to be a problem, but they published it as was. And then like an hour later decided to change it. It was an odd, I'm curious about the timeline of all that, I think, because it was mm-hmm. such a, an odd like unfolding that happened. Yeah. The, um, hmm. the thing that really stood out to me was the, and it's Noah Galvin is the actor, mm-hmm. but what really stood out to me was the phrasing of the editor's note about yeah. the Brian Singer yeah, because they ended that, up just deleting those the allegations entirely. They just deleted the the you know what he said that tied in with the numerous allegations against Brian Singer that somehow people keep not thinking about when they're so excited for X Men. But um, sorry, it sells another bone <laughs> to pick. <laughs> I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but um, but it certainly was a very interesting process. Like you said, the timeline was yeah. certainly suspect. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's definitely like a larger conversation about I guess accountability. I guess I don't I don't really work as a I've never interviewed anyone, so I don't know the ethics of that. Like I'm curious about how cuz you're sort of really mostly getting the actors sort of sort of point of view and I wonder like what atmosphere the interviewer cultivated. I wonder like what is the ethics as an interviewer of mm-hmm. of I don't know. I it's a lot of questions I just have personally that I don't really I genuinely don't have an opinion on that yet. Um, but yeah, it's very it's been very interesting to watch that unfold and to watch his um his sort of apologies happen so immediately. Well, yeah, and it didn't say we redacted this out of after the request of the interviewer or yeah. interviewee. It said basically, we don't want to get sued by Brian Singer. So even though this is a quote, we're just gonna we're just gonna censor what this person told us, which I think is really fucked up. But um Yeah. That's- that's me. Anyways, yeah. it's been an interesting yeah. news week, <laughs> but we should uh, get into our week in TV because we're going to, I'm so excited uh, because there are a number of shows that, that we will be able to, to really dive in with that we haven't, I haven't had the opportunity to talk about much this, this, uh, this season, I guess. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, right. So now we'll take a break and listen to a little music and come back with our week in comedy. This week in comedy, I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, Angie Tribeca, season two, Please Don't Kill, <laughs> Please Don't Kill Me, and Me So Dead. Um, then Steven Universe, Steven Floats, and then we'll both dive in with Silicon Valley to build a better beta and Veep Congressional Ball. So first up, Angie Tribeca. I know Caroline, you don't you don't watch this show or haven't watched it yet, but I was very glad it was back. I love season one and binged it 
just like the day when they were doing that 24 hours of Andrew Rebecca. Yeah, it was fabulous. Um, So not, I mean, having commercials is a very different experience (laughs) as compared to not having commercials for the season one binge. But, um, but I still really enjoyed uh, these episodes. I mean, the, the victim in the second episode is Kobayashi Maru. I mean, come on. We're going to love that, right? Yeah. I didn't find myself laughing as much as I was in season one. So I don't know how much of that is just because I had the opportunity to binge all of it and really build momentum and be completely in the world of the show with that and this was starting you know you're starting more cold you kind of have to get back into Mm it um but I I, but I still thought it was just delightful and a very different kind of comedy unabashedly and unapologetically silly form of comedy that I really appreciate so Age of Tribeca season two it's uh I think it's back in form if not quite as strong yet uh, and maybe it's just because Hoffman hasn't been wrong, who is, of course, the dog partner of, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of one of the cops. Uh, so so maybe if he starts showing up a little bit more, I'll, I'll get a little on board. But I mean, like Jerry Burns, is in, his character is the captain and he's in his last year before retirement. So he's required to start building a boat. Um, and so like like there's just little through lines like that that already are, are pretty fabulous. And I, I, have a, I have a feeling may pay off uh, really pretty substantially by the end of the season. So fingers crossed on that. Very glad to have Angie Tribeca back. Steven Universe had, uh, as Noel had hinted last week, Steven got a new ability, which is now he can float. Um, and, of course, that's tied to his emotions. And the way that's explored in this episode is really fun. I, I always appreciate when they take um, these elements of the hero's journey or of, you know, chosen one narratives that we see so much as genre fans, Caroline, and uh, mm-hmm. and, and then find their own Steven Universe way to tell it, which is, you know, was, oh, we leveled up and got a new power. And now we're just going to watch him, like, slowly drift down through the sky for 10 minutes because he got really excited, which made him float. And then he's like, oh, I'm really high. Awesome. Oh, I have to go back down. Oh, this is going to take a while. Oh, <laughs> so it's just delightful. And I look forward to seeing how that gets incorporated in the, the upcoming episodes, as I'm sure it will, or else they wouldn't have put it in now. So uh, I'm sure that will lead to some really entertaining uh, developments at Steven, over at Steven Universe. Now, have you seen any Steven Universe? No, that's on my the top of my list of shows that people seem to just 100% adore. So I, I need to get around to, to watching it. But yeah, I don't delve too much into the cartoon side of TV for some reason. That might just be like a weird mm-hmm. prejudice I have. But Steven Universe definitely on the top of, of shows I want to check out. See this stupid silly grin on my face? You're <laughs> She's go- very excited talking about this. I can I can attest to that. You're gonna like you're gonna love it so much. It's oh it's so amazing. It's so amazing. Okay. That's that's fine. I need to we need to move on. We get to talk about uh, Silicon Valley to build a better beta, and and also a little bit about the season as a whole because I haven't talked about it much. I find it challenging to talk about comedies if like because Noel doesn't doesn't watch Silicon Valley, so I just end up saying it's really funny, and then <laughs> I don't really have more to add. So I like I'm glad that we can have a bit of a dialogue. How did you feel about this episode and and the way that the season has been shaping up? Yeah, I thought that this was a solid, if not completely exceptional episode. Um, Like, I laughed. I wouldn't say I was blown away as I am in sort of the best episodes of Silicon Valley. But overall, I do think Silicon Valley is one of the strongest comedies on TV. Uh, I really like, it is so plot-driven. At at least at the comedies I watch, it is like the most plot-driven 
uh, of them all. And, and little things that I sort of expected, you know, I'm so used to like comedies and sitcoms sort of resetting, um, in each episode. And, and there's certainly been like a larger sense of Silicon Valley doing that this season, but they still follow through with the little things. Like there was the, the bit about, uh, Bachman and Big Head sort of like getting a partnership and then the fallout of that. And I think a lot of comedies would sort of like reset or be like, oh, it fell out. And now like it's done and that storyline's over. But that carried over in a like a weirdly emotional way into this episode because the part that I responded to strongest was Bachman having to sell his shares in Pied Piper and sort of like on the on the down low actually and so you get this like exhilarating moment where the company is going to launch and he alone knows that he is not a part of it anymore and that I mean even though Silicon Valley is like an out and out comedy I was actually surprised by how like moving that was and I think Bachman's such an over-the-top character, and I can sometimes get a little sick of him, but that was, like, a nice sort of different note for them to play. So the plot-driven aspects, like, really, they really strike me every time I watch Silicon Valley as much as the the actual comedy does. Yeah, I absolutely agree. That was a really, a really nice moment. It played very well by T.J. Miller, mm-hmm. too. Um, and, and the way that the, the way that even just the season has, has built to that with him, like, he's truly humbled there, and he's, yeah. like, you, you were really with him when, when... He has to. He has to sell shares. I'm hoping that, like, I want to be like, can't he just sell some of them and like, yeah. <laughs> and like, still have a, like less, but just like at least a little bit? Because I mean, come on, jobs. Yeah, and boss, it was really right? sad. It like really, it really got to me that, and the fact that he didn't tell them, like, yeah, that was really surprisingly emotional. Yeah. No. And, and uh, it's. I mean, it's just. Because he spends the first half of the season just being terrible <laughs> and exploiting Big Head horribly yeah so so to have that then come full circle i think Mm -hmm. uh works for me there's been a little too much resetting with this season so like the stuff we were getting with tobolowski earlier i thought was really really great but then we basically just get to about halfway through the season realize oh we've been filling time with this that's frustrating but um really frustrating too yeah i'm glad i'm glad it's not just me uh but i like the stuff that they like you said it's it's so it's very distinctly care, uh, plot driven and there are real consequences to what happens Yeah, with, a, with pretty much all the characters. Um, but they also find all these wonderful spaces for character moments like Dinesh not having any friends. <laughs> yeah, that was great. To. Dinesh and Guilfoyle are so funny to me. I think that they're the part of the show that I most consistently enjoy. And the mm-hmm. whole, also Jared, Jared is, yeah, I just, that character delights me to no end. And the whole little, I mean, the Friends plot was a little bit, I don't know, cliche. Yeah. But the ending of like, you're your own, you're your own best friends and like shutting him down. I, that all really worked for me. The wrap up of that plot really worked for me. Absolutely. Now, uh, what did you think about uh, the, there being just the, 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 the one, the question about the, do you, do you think everybody else is right? Or do you think that. That Monica's right. Yeah, I found that plot very strange, and I think it reflects... So, I love Silicon Valley, as I've said. Um, It's really funny. I think it's one of the funniest shows. I think it's... To not include women makes it explicitly sexist. I have come to this new thesis that any show that doesn't include multiple female characters is sexist. And it can still be good, but it's it's sexist. And I think that the traditional sort of defense is like, oh, well, it's based on Silicon Valley. There's not a lot of women there, so we can't have women on the show. I mean, this is not a realistic show. You know, this is this is a show where, like, someone is, their greatest desire in life is to own cannonballs, and they're, like, carrying it around, and they're a child. Like, this is not, this is a show that exists in a heightened world that is not 
that is only tangentially related to reality. And so therefore you can include women because this is not a realistic version of Silicon Valley. It's a heightened version. So your heightened version can include women. Um, so anyway, there's like two female characters. There's the head of Pied Piper or the head of the like organization that is uh, funding Pied Piper. And then there's Monica, who's like the sort of go between girl. And I thought this was such an odd plot for her because like you mentioned she's the only person that they speak to who doesn't like the beta and then it sort of comes down to her saying like well but it doesn't matter if I don't like it because Richard I trust you explicitly and it just felt like it didn't quite work as a comedy beat and it didn't quite work as a character beat and she, it just made me realize that she has no real purpose on the show other than to be like the token woman and maybe like we mentioned like it is a pretty consequence heavy show so maybe that will come back in some way but I found it frustrating that she was like I don't like it I have no notes for you I just don't like it and I was like well that makes it seem like you're incompetent at your job like how could you how could you be in this position and you you like can't verbalize your problem with it in a way that they can help like this is not I don't know I found it frustrating from a feminist, like, female character point of view, but also just from a storytelling point of view, like, that was not an engaging story. And it's just endemic, I think, of the the frustrations that I feel with the show is, like, not treating women well and not letting them be funny. Like, she's in the stereotypical, like, st sort of nagging woman role. She's a little more supportive than that sort of cliche usually is, but it's still, like, I'm serious. I'm going to focus on the money. I'm going to focus on the business. I can't be fun and weird and quirky like Dinesh and Guilfoyle. Like, I have to be the responsible one. So, yeah. So, I want to say all that without saying that that makes me, like, want to stop watching Silicon Valley. Like, I still really like it, but I guess that's, like, the problem of being a fan who is also sort of into women having good roles. You end up in the situation where you're like, I really like this show, but also this show is... I really like the show Terrible that is sexist. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So I don't know if that if that all, I know that that's like a weird paradox, but that's essentially how I feel about Silicon Valley and especially the sort of Monica plotline this week. Well, and I think they could have helped things out if Lori was shown, yeah. ex you know, experiencing the beta and and liking it, uh, having the same reaction that we see that, you know, the creator of Hooli uh, have. Uh, so, so then they would be, no, this is a Monica thing, not a... Yeah gendered thing which yeah. I think that certainly would have helped and I if that I feel like that's got to come back in some way or otherwise I mean I, I like the idea of you at a certain point you have to take a leap of faith mm -hmm. I think that's an it, and they don't really have many characters that can fill that role because all the other characters that we know uh are involved in the creation of it so and certainly Bachman is not somebody who can fill that role because he either would be able to point to specific flaws that they could then address or he wouldn't notice because he would he wants it to be good so strong so strongly so there isn't really another outsider kind of character they could bring in besides monica and so i see why they chose her but mm -hmm. but yeah i think even just having un unless Lori's gonna come in later and be like oh obviously this this that and that's what monica was seeing um and couldn't quite put into words if not then i don't I think they really could have helped themselves out by having her also be down with the beta. And I don't know why she yeah. wouldn't be on the beta list. I mean, Dinesh doesn't have any friends. Why wouldn't yeah. you let <laughs> you know, her see it, especially when you're ready to, you need to pitch her that the, that the beta is ready to go live. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. Uh, the fact that Huli gets like shut down completely just as they're launching um, while there's still three episodes left, I think is interesting. So I don't really know. It was know. a very satisfying moment. Oh, yeah. To see them get shut down. 
Yeah, all like everything was that was pretty great. And and so that tells me we got three episodes. That's enough for a mini arc. There's a lot more to come. But um, I don't. I have no idea what it could be. So I hope that it. Because like you said, I think it was really frustrating to see the show go in such a different direction in the beginning of the season and then to just essentially reset. So I'm hoping that this reset was sort of the fluke and that now that they've launched Pied Piper, this will sort of take them in a whole new direction. Because I think, yeah, I mean, like exactly like you said, like how many times can they end up back in like Bachman's house doing the same thing? And for a show that is so invested in consequences and plot to see, even if they're still doing that on a micro level, to see them on a macro level reset is frustrating. But this, the way that episode ends with the sort of optimism tinged with some bittersweetness, I think that that could be an exciting new direction for the show. Absolutely. Well, bittersweetness. Let's let's move on to Veep, uh, Congressional <laughs> Ball. Uh, I, of course, cover Veep over at the AV Club. And I have I've had to just like... Because I don't want to just give A's every week. Yeah. <laughs> you can't just get, keep giving the show A's. But they've had a really strong season, I think. And, um, yeah, they set the bar. They set the A bar for me really high because Mother got an A. So now every other episode, to get an A has to be as good as Mother. And that's just not fair. Um, but I really like this episode. Um, and I've really enjoyed the season. How, how have you been feeling about the season? Or you, say, you don't usually watch Veep, but you did watch this episode. So- yeah, I have a weird uh, history with Veep, which is that I have seen exactly two episodes. One was the pilot and one was this week's episode. Because <laughs> I knew I was coming on the show and I wanted, and I knew you covered it. And I've only heard fantastic things about the show. And I was like, I want to watch. And I'm kind of a big proponent of just jumping into shows in the middle. I feel like we don't do that enough anymore. So I can't say that I fully understood everything that was happening in this episode. (laughs) But even without that perspective, I could tell that this was a super solid, satisfying episode. Even with the confusions that I had, I was like, oh, this is really engaging. And I don't even know who these characters are, but I really enjoy watching them. And I enjoy the sort of, I feel like a very chaotic uh, episode or or sort of they're barely holding everything together because they're at this big, you know, fancy black tie event and you've got to maintain this public persona while you know doing a million things underneath the surface so that was just a really fun like classic comedy setup to watch yeah I'm, I'm so fascinated to get your thoughts on it because <laughs> you've seen two episodes right. and it's just it's really it's morphed over time well the show it's very it's true to its core but I mean she's the president now she's yeah. in the middle she had an electoral tie for the pre- for in in the election and now they're wrangling votes in congress so what ca- what stood out to you what characters did you were you most enjoying and like this is a very um this is selena just unchained she just like destroys a few people in this episode which is some of the most vicious stuff we've seen from her all series so you got thrown in the deep end yeah well i loved it i watching this i I was like, oh, I understand why Julie Louise Dreyfus always wins all of the awards. Like, this was a great <laughs> reminder that those are not unearned. You know, this is not just like, oh, let's coast and let Modern Family win everything. Like, she is working her butt off on the show. And I so I thought she was, like, truly impressive. Her ability to be so intense and aggressive while keeping the, you know, kind of kind public face on. Like, the, I could have watched her go through and take photos with everyone just like all day. Cause I mm-hmm. thought that was such a great setup. Um, I really liked Tony Hale's character. Like he's, I mean, he's such a funny actor, but I just loved the, like, you know, this episode where he thinks he's on there. He is mistakenly on the hot list. And like the pride he takes in that was so funny to watch. And the one, my like fan favorite character from this one episode is Richard. I don't know how big a part he is in the show, but I thought yeah. everything with him was, he was kind of like the Jared of Silicon Valley, like this weirdo yeah. little character that I was like, I just want to watch you the whole time because you're so 
funny to me. So those were the immediate standouts that I had. Well, first of all, Richard's amazing. Uh, he Great. he is a later addition to the show, but is like you say, absolutely delightful. I would love for Sam Richardson to who plays him to to get nominated for things because I mean Tony Hale has won and he's mm-hmm. fantastic. I mean his react like just the physicality as he like yeah. backs out of the green room <laughs> in horror at walking in on Selena and and Tom having the sex. Uh, it was just so good so wonderful um but but sam richardson i think it does really terrific work um throughout and he his character has the blog splitnet.net and it's hilarious (laughs) and they've been updating it like consistently since he mentioned it in the season i want to say the season premiere uh so it's delightful so if you ever like are feeling like you need a dose of richard in your life you can go to his he's got extended (laughs) thoughts on a tom bombadil movie that he has extrapolated into several posts um, but it's delightful. Um, yeah, th- those I think they had really terrific ep- episodes, um, and, and and they got more to do. So so Gary, the stuff with the hot list gives him a lot more to do, and the reaction. Like this is the I think the most Tony House had to do for most of the season. Mm-hmm. So it's nice to see him featured again. Um, Jonah, who is terrible, being you know, running for Congress, I think has been a really great through line mm-hmm. for this season, um, or the last few episodes, I should say. He also, the, his campaign also has a website and it's delightful. Jonah, Ron, Jonah, Jonah Ryan for congress.com. Just fantastic. Uh, so, so watching, like you say, this, there's all of this, all of this drama and this, um, this scheming kind of happening. They need to manipulate the votes. They need to do what they can do to shore up support while they're at a black tie function. So everybody's all dressed to the nines and uh, like, like uh, when they're dancing and she's yeah. just like, sabotages him mid-dance. Yeah. I feel uh, like that was the epitome of the we need to keep up the public face while privately destroying each other. Like, the we're yeah. dancing, we're in public, we're happy, but we're also having this really aggressive conversation that, I mean, their chemistry, the the Julie Louise Dreyfus Hugh Laurie chemistry was just, like, perfect. Like, you could just tell that they had so much fun mm-hmm. filming those scenes together, and I feel like that really translated into, like, a fantastic a couple of fantastic scenes with them. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I just tend to really like, I feel like television enjoys a black tie gala, an event. And I yeah. almost always really like those episodes because <laughs> they shows tend to save those for big moments. They need to have an excuse to get everybody all dressed up and pretty. Um, and then they like to then destroy that fantasy moment with either drama or comedy. Uh, so, so I think this was a, an excellent example of that, but certainly was one that I really enjoyed this week. Um, so I don't think it'll surprise anyone that that Veep wins my week in comedy uh, with an uh, affectionate nod to Steven Universe. Uh, what wins your week in comedy, Caroline? You know, I'll since you gave it to Veep, I'll give it to Silicon Valley, even if this wasn't one of my favorite um, episodes of the season, I think. Just to represent the season as a whole, I'll give a shout out to that one this week. Excellent choice. Uh, Good week in comedy. Now we'll take a break and come back with our week in genre. You wired me awake and hit me with a hand of broken nails. You tied my lead and pulled my chain to watch my blood begin to boil. But I'm gonna break, I'm gonna break my, gonna break my rusty cage and run. I'm gonna break, I'm gonna break my, gonna break my rusty cage and run. This 
this week in genre, we're going to talk about, I'm going to talk briefly, I should say, about Outcast's pilot, A Darkness Surrounds Him. Um, and then we'll dive deep with Game of Thrones, The Broken Man, uh, and Orphan Black, The Mitigation of Con- uh, Competition, before uh, winding up the week in genre with Preacher C. So first up, I checked out the pilot of Outcast, uh, which I'm surprised to not hear more conversation about. I thought it was a pretty solid pilot. I, I'm For me, the Robert Kirkman name is not actually something that is a bonus to a show um so I, I think other people might have been more excited about this one than i was just because they are bigger fans of him than i am but i thought it was a solid horror concept and like premise i, I really enjoy philip glenister from of course life on mars and i thought he was really good in uh, prey as well uh so seeing him like i didn't even recognize him because well first of all he's doing a i think at least what I heard of fantastic American accent, Southern American accent. And I'm just so used to him being so British, you know, uh, that, you know, that really stood out to me. Uh, so like, I didn't even connect the two, but I think he's really fun as the priest, um, Patrick Fugit, uh, as the, the lead, I think there's some interesting stuff going on here. I'm always a bit leery. I don't know if you have any thoughts on this, Caroline, about shows where some almost always, white guy has done something horrible and violent to his family or his wife mm-hmm. or his kid or something like that and then you find out that really it's not his fault it's this other thing I think that that is an interesting place to start off from in this case because we're finding out that he's lost his family because something happened and all we know is that people think that he hurt his family and that's why they're separated now and we find out really there's this demonic possession thing that went down I don't, I st- I've started to feel kind of squicky about that as a premise because yeah. it just feels very much like, oh, well, all those domestic abuse things that you're hearing about, yeah. it's not really his fault. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What do you think? It's interesting. It actually isn't something I thought about before, but I do think that there is, whenever you're dealing with like a real world thing and you're sort of exaggerating in some way for a genre thing, it is, you just have to be careful. And especially when you're doing things metaphorically or like you said, like touching on tricky topics. Like, I think that there's probably a way to do it intelligently, but I think you're right that because it's so overused that the vast majority of those things are not doing it intelligently. So I think it's, I think you're right to be wary of it and then to just see yeah. how well it, it plays out, I guess. Well, and they tend, to, when shows are using this promise, they, they do tend to emphasize that this is a very bad thing, you yeah. know? Um, so, so, like, the show is very clear that, like, you know, this is a very bad thing that 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 he's accused of that we don't really they don't get into specifics about it, which I think actually in this case works well. Um, but just that, like the entire town, like a lot of people shun him because of the, the rumors around him and everything. And then um, and he's not there he proclaiming his innocence or anything because he isn't really sure of what happened either. He doesn't want to believe that there's all this demonic possession stuff going on. But but I think this is actually a really solid first episode. Um, and it seems like they're going to handle that element well, or at least kind of move on from it in a way that that I think should work. We'll see what happens. But um, I, I also is really it like... super like creepy. Like what is the yeah? Because whole... I'm not a huge horror person, so I wasn't sure like what level of horror fan should dive into this well i have a low tolerance that was made higher by doing a <laughs> weekly walking dead podcast for many years uh as well as uh my like af- i feel like after some of the shows that i have watched for the televerse mm-hmm. uh, my gore tolerance is a lot higher than it used to be yeah <laughs> um the the opening scene of this uh pilot i think is just really creepy like there's smashing bugs and sucking up blood and biting fingers and but it the the most disturbing i would say scene is at the very beginning 
of of the episode. Um, there's also a really pro, uh, really disturbing scene later as a grown ass man is beating a child because the child is possessed. But I think it it doesn't sh- run away from that. It's supposed to be mm-hmm. disturbing. It's supposed to be it's supposed to, to be messing up this guy. And I, one would presume the kid when he's no longer possessed too. So like I think it it embraces rather than shies away from that that as a as a challenging topic. Um, but but as far as just like visceral creepiness and horror i think it, it does pretty well but like i said my tolerance is slow so <laughs> other people might just be like yawning through this yeah um and and uh yeah i think the cast is good i think that the the setup is is pretty standard but but good uh, there's some intriguing elements that they introduce which you know is always a good thing in a genre pilot um there's talk of like I forget I forget what it's called, but there's like like the awakening can't be stopped or something something like that you know um so yeah, I I was I don't know if I'll keep up with it week to week unless people tell me that I that I should or like there's a particularly strong episode or something. But I wasn't anticip- I like I had low expectations for this. Nobody's really been talking about it at least in yeah. our circles. But um, but actually I was I was impressed with it. I think think they did a good job. So, um, I, let me know, listeners, if you think I should stick with with Outcast. But um, yeah, I think I mean I could I I right now there's fewer shows. It's a much more manageable yeah. week. So that maybe maybe. Um, but we need to talk about Game of Thrones because, again, Noel doesn't watch Game of Thrones. So I haven't really said had much to say about this season other than like Sansa and Jon, yay! Yeah. <laughs> and like other things, boo! Um, so how did you feel about The Broken Man? Uh, so I, I've had a very complicated relationship with Game of Thrones that's really coming to a head recently. I was never really a fan of this show. I find it... I, I wrote a piece about this and I'm not even sure if I fully articulated it well, but I just find it a show that can be cynical to the point of just being boring almost. Um, yeah. I think that, I think that, and there's elements of this in Broken Man specifically, but I think it's a show that is not as smart as it gets credit for being because I think we as a society sort of mistake violence for intelligence. And if you're willing to kill off heroes, then we're like, you must be a smart show when I don't think that's always the case. Um, that being said, I recently, like, this season, I think because this season has been a little bit more, like, you feel like the good guys are finally starting to win. So that got me a little more engaged. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to try to give this show a chance. So I've been rewatching. actually. I rewatched the first three seasons so far. Um, and I've been getting more, I'm understanding the appeal more. I, like, can see the strong things that it's doing. I think when it's smart, it's very smart. Um, and I think that you have both of that in The Broken Man. I think you have the intelligence in, like, I loved the stuff with Marjorie. I really like the stuff with Jamie. And even the the Sansa, John Davos stuff, I thought there was some cool things in there. What I thought was incredibly unintelligent uh, to the point of just cliche and, like, so boring was, was the stuff, the Hound storyline. And I was thrilled to have him back. I love that actor. I think that was a lovely surprise. The cold open was great. And then you get what essentially boils down to like, you know, a one act play, which is that he's going to try to be good. And we have this little community of people that are trying to be good. But oh, no, the big bad world's bad. And guess what? They all died. And he has to be evil again. Ooh, aren't we so edgy and smart? And I'm like, this is like, (laughs) I mean, I love The Walking Dead, but this is like some Walking Dead level of just like really simplistic storytelling that I think regularly gets called out for being simplistic on The Walking Dead, but people seem to love this episode of Game of Thrones and and use that sort of Brother Ray storyline as an example of how intelligent it was. And I I could not... Th- I mean, it was so just boring to me, and I had to 
it was so, we revisited it so often. And screen time is so limited on Game of Thrones. And I, for one, am like so intrigued in what Marjorie's up to because I think she's a really cool, um, interesting character. And But instead of sticking with her story, we had to watch like what felt like 30 minutes of just, oh, well, let's give lectures about anti-violence. Oh, but guess what? We're all dead. And I just, I mean, what are the odds what are the odds that you have this little community away from everything? They're not bothering anyone. You happen to have some people ride by. Those people decide that, like, the best way to steal food from these people is to murder them all. I just don't believe that this is how societies function. Like, yes, medieval life was violent, but, but like, what is the per this brotherhood? Like, what was... It takes a lot of energy to slaughter, what, like, a hundred people? Like, why would that be... Why would they want to do that in order to just steal their food? That is a nonsensical motivation on their part for these people that are not a threat. If and I you don't kill think them, like they a, can't make more food. Yeah, yeah. It's such an illogical thing that just feels like, oh, it's there for edgy for edgy sake. And, like, how did the hound... He didn't hear this happening until the one person, the last person that was about to be die, to be killed, like, happened to scream, and he happened to hear that one, and, like, happened to come back, and the slaughter was over. I don't know. It just felt so cliche, so absurdly cliche. And to just get to the point of, like, so then you have to be violent because this is a violent society, it just felt... Like, weirdly, that sort of stuff bothers me less in The Walking Dead, I think because it's about an apocalypse. But, like, Game of Thrones is ostensibly about a society, and I think that this is just not how functioning societies operate. And even if there are examples of this throughout history, I think Game of Thrones is missing some of the context in which those sort of horrific events have occurred, and it's just sort of, like, pulling the horrific event out in isolation, and that's, like, not... It's not intelligent, and I don't like that it sort of gets a pass because the production values are high, which I think is what happens a lot of the time. Yeah. What, what I think is really interesting to, first of all, first of all, Game of Thrones is not a smart show. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of the time. This is, I think this is a great episode to talk about that with because of course, Ian McShane, who is here in this episode and looking amazing, by the way, it's like the best he's looked in like yeah. quite a while. Uh, so good on you, Ian McShane. Can't wait for American Gods. It's going to be so good. Um, but um, he, of course, had that delightful quote when he was interviewed before the start of the season, and he was dropping spoilers. People were like, oh, aren't you cared about spoilers? It's like, it's just tits and dragons. Yeah. Uh, so I just think that's a great episode to talk about it with because it's the Ian McShane episode, and it is just tits and dragons most yeah. of the time. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think that's a excellent point um, and what I think is interesting is looking at just within Game of Thrones I think it speaks to a larger I think this is a good example of how we motivate characters in American television um, just in general because how do we motivate men we kill people we kill defenseless people we kill women we kill children we kill minority characters how do we motivate women we threaten them with rape mm -hmm. we hurt them we, we yeah. have them get stabbed and yeah. how do we hurt, how do we, so so in order to motivate Arya, it's like she doesn't want to kill someone um, and then she gets stabbed. And that's what's going to get her story moving again. How do we motivate Sansa? Let's have her get horribly raped. Mm -hmm. How do we motivate. Or Marjorie. Yeah, or Marjorie. Let's yeah. get her tortured and thrown into a dungeon. Absolutely. And Cersei. And uh, yes, Jon Snow gets killed. But the reason he gets killed is so that he can be risen from yeah. the dead and leave the Night's Watch because it's the only way he can leave the Night's Watch. So that's less about motivating him and more about giving him a, a loophole to leave, you know, leave the watch without forsaking his honor. 
Um, but the, in general, the men on the show are not motivated by violence towards them and uh, in threats to them. They're motivated mm-hmm. by by let's kill all this slaughter a hundred people, even though it doesn't make sense. Because um, so, as I was watching it, it wasn't really bothering me. Um, but thinking about it in that context of, oh, well, we need there to, to be man pain so that he can learn the important lesson that you can't put down the sword and that kind of a thing. Um, and that's really rather tiresome. I'm, I mean, yeah. I'm over that. That's That's been why so many characters have been killed on TV this year, most of them women. Uh, not most, I should say, many of them women, many of them queer characters. And I... American TV, I've seen that story. Yeah. And you've seen it to the point where, like, from the minute we get Brother Ray, oh, here he is and he lives peacefully. I mean, you know he's going to be dead by the end of the episode. So essentially watching all of those scenes, I was like, I just want to fast forward. Like, there's no, whatever you say is irrelevant because I know that the end of this episode is going to refute what you say. So why do I even have to listen to you say it? Like, just cut to you being dead and hanging there because that's where we're headed anyway. I actually think Game of Thrones is so much smarter when the characters are... I don't want to say they don't have to be nice to each other, but when they're when there's an element of humanity to them in the way I mean, Brother Ray is a human character, but the way that he's slaughtered is like, oh, no, humanity's terrible. I actually think when it's what's why Cersei is one of my favorite characters, if not my favorite character on the show, because I think that her villainy is always clearly motivated by a humanity. It's why she's so much more interesting than Ramsay. Um, or Joffrey, who were just like, we're psychopaths, and that's our only thing, and we don't really act like human beings, we're just psychopaths. And so it's just, again, like, okay, there's someone in a scene with Ramsay, they're going to end up dead by the end, so let me hit fast forward so I can get to that point, because, again, how they get there is irrelevant. Whereas with Cersei, the process of how you get there is intriguing, because you're watching her motivation and how other people are reading her, and I think, really, as much as I was frustrated with the Brother Ray stuff, I actually think the rest of this episode does a really good job of sort of of sort of not saying that, like, people being nice or honorable is, is always boring. Because I don't think it is boring. I think you can sort of interrogate that in an interesting way. And I think, like, to me, I think the best episode, or the best scene in this episode was the one with Liana Mormont, the little girl that John and Davos and Sansa have to go to, which is ultimately, like, a scene of four people who are trying to do something good but have different conceptions of what that is. And watching how they negotiate that was, like, so engaging, so much more engaging than the Brother Ray stuff. And it didn't rely on someone coming out at the end of the scene and slitting all their throats for shock value, you know? Like, mm-hmm. it was just about... It was just about how their interests sort of intersected in different ways. And and the same thing with the scene with Jamie and the Blackfish. I thought that was a great, like, I think one of Game of Thrones' strongest sort of through lines is looking at, like, the absurdity of monarchy. And then it comes down to this, you have a situation where your political system says that if someone dies, if a leader gets, like, removed or dies, sometimes the best option is, like, to have a child take power. And, like, objectively, that is a crazy situation. But I like the Game of Thrones. is like, let's take the absurdity of that. And rather than just say, oh, yeah, she's a child, so she's going to be an idiot like Tommen or a psychopath like Joffrey. She's a child, but she's trying to do what's right. And you can tell she was raised in an environment where she knew that she was having a lot of responsibility. And they did something similar back in season two with Bran, where he sort of had to take over Winterfell for a while. And... It's really interesting to watch the flaws of a child trying to do well. I think that's so much more interesting than like, oh, Joffrey shot a prostitute because he's a child with power. Like that's just such a boring conception of what of what you could be doing with this. So I think Broken Man, it's like to me it was like the worst of Game of Thrones and the best of Game of Thrones all in one episode, which is why I had a hard time sort of figuring out how I thought about the episode <laughs> as a whole, I guess. How do you feel about uh what's going with uh, with Arya? Yeah, that was weird, right? Like that I I 
that was a, like a shock value that I was like, oh, I was genuinely unexpected. I was very shocked. Mm-hmm. So it succeeded on that level. I thought her lack of uh, like being on her guard was like idiotic. And I've seen all these fan theories online about, oh, maybe that wasn't Arya. Like she was acting so out of character. She wasn't prepared. She was just like essentially like wandering the streets like do 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 do. I'm going to look at a statue. Oh, an old lady's coming. Well, I know I'm being followed by a like a gang of assassins that can change their faces but nope I won't put my guard up when I talk to her so I I think that was just like an error on the show's part but who knows maybe mm-hmm. that they, they have like are playing a longer game and they've just fooled me so I appreciated it for the shock value I appreciate it for like the badass moment where she flipped off a bridge that just yeah. <laughs> looked really cool but it did not feel like a moment that was earned in terms of what we know of Arya like she's so she's such a she like really knows how to look out for herself and I feel like she just did not in that last scene in such a weird way. Yeah, I'm having some... I, I agree. I, the flip off the bridge is really cool, and it was genuinely a surprise, which it's at this point, I feel like it's hard for the show to surprise us. Yeah. Um, even, even though they're not doing book stuff anymore, it doesn't... It's still, like, the, the narrative beats are so ingrained at this point. It's hard to, to be surprised with something on Game of Thrones. Um, what I thought... What, what I, when I'm having trouble with, with the Arya storyline story is I need there to be a reason that we've spent so much time yes. with her here. Because um, there isn't one. It's just no, been like, oh, I guess so it's time boring. <laughs> to rejoin the story, guys. There's only 13 episodes after this season. So there's only 16 episodes left. I should probably get back to, to the actual action. And she can't. She hasn't learned how to do the... It's not like she's learned a new skill that then yeah. she levels up. That, that hasn't happened. And we haven't seen her have a particularly different we started to see her mature and have a different approach towards death and Mm -hmm. and life um but then the show backed away from that too so i need there to be a reason i've spent all this time here and it's it's been her continually choosing to spend the time it's not like when she was tywin's cupbearer she didn't have a chance to escape she didn't have anywhere to go there like she's been choosing to stay and not process her her guilt and her fear and her anger and the the episode like with the with the with the play really addressed this in a very nice way, but again, I need there to be have been a point. So they're gonna have to creatively manufacture one in the next couple of episodes. Um, and I feel the same way with like all the stuff we were we've been getting with Danny, which we thankfully don't get this week. Oh my God, yeah. Um, yeah, it's like so we needed boring. to waste seasons of stuff because she can't show up to the end of the story. And yeah. I think just the fact that we're getting towards the end of the story is why things are so much more satisfying this season because we can start getting our heroes together um so next week when we have jamie and brienne sharing the scene again that should be really great it's been it's been a long time so you know having having people start coming back together is what the narrative is required to do by the fact there's only so many episodes left um and i so so i i'm tentative to give too much credit to the show itself because it's so much is is it that this season is better is it that the writing is better or is it just that now they can stop twiddling their thumbs with some of these storylines is it just the fact that it's season x is why it's better i don't know yeah i think that there's definitely an element of that and the weird thing about game of thrones is it's not like you're watching one show you're essentially watching seven shows like what you know each storyline and the problem I have is some of those I'm so engaged with. Like I said, the Marjorie stuff, I am mm-hmm. like, let's get her planned because she is so smart. It was so reassuring to see her give the the note uh, with the rose on it. And we're like, okay, we know she hasn't been brainwashed. That's great. I love the King's Landing stuff. I've even started to like the John and Sansa stuff. And then like 
I cannot tell you how little I care about Theon. Like, there's nothing <laughs> about Theon that interests me. Even Yara, basically anything that's not in Westeros, like Arya and Bravos, don't care. Danny and Maureen, like, even lower than don't care. Mm-hmm. Theon, don't care. And so when you happen to get an episode that's like, oh, all the characters you like are in one, then that's the episode I like. And when I have to get one where I'm like, oh, let's watch Theon talk about being broken, like, I just don't care about Theon. I just I just don't care about him. And I don't care about Arya and Bravos, especially, as you said, if she hasn't learned even enough to, like, have basic defense skills mm-hmm. against the Waif. Like, what was the point of that? And so it's just, like, screen time is so precious. And so I can get really frustrated when it's like, yeah, let's give the time to this Brother Ray story instead of, you know, characters that we haven't checked in with that I am really engaged with. And, and that makes it, like, a, it's just such a weirdly structured show. And I, I'm... Like, in a way, I'm, like, surprised that it's so popular because I find it very, like, inaccessible at times and you really have to sort of slog through a lot of not great stuff to get the stuff that, like, the great, the good stuff is really, really good, but Mm. you sort of have to, like, wade through a lot to get to it, I think. Yeah. My final thought on this episode is I need that letter that Sansa is clearly sending to Littlefinger to end up resulting in her killing him. (laughs) Like, or, or backstabbing in some way where yeah. it's like, yes, she's calling, uh, you know, sending for help from him. Yes, she's probably making some sort of deal uh, with him. Um, I'll I'll marry you and you'll be Lord of Winterfell, something like that. Um, but I need that to end with, uh, with him being betrayed by her because he continues yeah. to underestimate her um, yeah. and think he can just manipulate her as he has all series long. Um, I, I'm, I just, I really, really need... Sansa to not be uh, lose to to not be manipulated and controlled anymore she in the rewatch that I've done the hardest thing is watching Sansa's story because I'm just like I know where this is headed now and I know you're just going to be nonstop either psychologically or physically tortured for five seasons and I don't (laughs) watch it it's really not fun so yeah I hope that she gets a happy ending I know like we're not supposed to I don't know. It's not the show that gives happy endings, but like, let's stop. Let's just like let Sansa have some wins for a while. Yeah, definitely. Um, our next show uh, in our week in genre is Orphan Black, and it's done next week. Yeah, I was surprised when I realized that. It does not feel like no. We're built. It felt like a messy season. I think it doesn't feel like we're building to one thing that I've been following, and I've liked like pieces of it, but it I guess sort of like Game of Thrones. Like it felt like a hodgepodge of. Things I like and things I'm confused by. Yeah, I, this is this episode is mitigation, or sorry, the mitigation of competition. And I've liked, I've liked this season, yeah. but it was just one where, and it's, I've liked it better than the last season because I think the whole caster thing was just they screwed that all up. But um, I so I've liked this season, but if each episode's feeling like okay, now the story can start. Yeah. Okay, now I, like I look at the end, uh, we're getting episode nine here. I'm like, oh, this was supposed to be like, especially with them throwing around the word villain so much. Oh, she's supposed to actually be a villain? No. No, 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 Orphan yeah. Black. You have not done that. You have not done a good enough job. So while I've liked the pieces and I've liked, you know, how they've developed some of the characters, I love them bringing back Crystal. I love some of these other, like Adele, I think has been really great. She's been great. Um, It has, I can't really, it feels very episodic. It doesn't yeah. feel like it's built to anything. Totally agree. Um, I really liked the stuff with Beth they were doing in the beginning of the season, and I expected that to be... I mean, it was a through line for a while, but then it sort of dropped out. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like they or they had the resolution come earlier, but that I was interested in. And then I, what I've really come to realize with Orphan Black is that 
I don't care about the plot, and I don't think the show really cares about the plot. Like, they just sort of throw around, oh, organizations, and Neolution, and Prolethians, and Brightborn, and none of it really makes sense, and I like the show best when I can, like, tune that out and just essentially watch the characters do stuff, and so I, I guess I tend to like the character-driven episodes more, even if they're plot-driven, where they just get some great character scenes. And this had a couple of those that I really liked. Like, Helena's return was great, and Helena saving the Hendrixes was great. Um, Adele and Felix got some good moments. But when it's like, oh, let's watch Sarah and Art, like, on a case of a... to hunt down a person I've never heard of before, to stop an organization that I don't really understand what it is, to stop a villain who, like you said, is not really a villain, that stuff is is not so engaging for me. So I guess... Yeah, the plot-driven parts of it I just don't care about as much and I think often take up too much of the show's runtime. Yeah, I find it fascinating that for a show that does so much well and that really has, I think on the whole, nailed a lot of its casting or at least figured out how to use its pieces very, very well, Orphan Black, it seems like, is going to end never having a single good villain. Yeah, how? How are you in season... It was the main problem with, uh, for me at least, with, with season three. How are you in season four and you don't know how to do a... Vi- like, they started with Rachel, but then they were unwilling to actually make her the bad guy. Um, and so they didn't commit to it. I mean, I just I just don't know. I mean, it just makes me appreciate a character like Kilborn on... Mm-hmm. Or Kilgrave, I should say. Kilborn. Kilgrave. On Jessica Jones all the more. Because if, if this group of characters had a really strong villain to go up against, it it would elevate the series immediately. Yeah. Yeah, I think, and, like, what's nice, Jessica Jones, it's so simple, right? It's, like, the, the captor versus the former vic- versus his victim, and there's a simplicity that an orphan black wants to be all about complexities, and, again, like, it's not... It's so smart in so many ways, and especially about female agency, but when it comes to, like... Neolution is working inside Dyad, but Dyad is controlled by Neolution, who's actually Brightborn. Like, that stuff is just not... It doesn't track. It doesn't make sense. I think, like, Brightborn was not built up as a big enough... Like, that should have been where we started the season with, if that's where we wanted to end it with. And there are interesting and smart ideas in this episode. Like, I think a lot of it is about the ethics of sort of... I mean, I guess the question is, like, is it ethical to expand experiment if that experiment leads to live children who may or may not be healthy which I thought was an interesting question and you get that in Brightborn with the sort of really deformed infants that they kill and you get it with um Lita making Charlotte who's like the young um the young clone but then it's like we just didn't have enough time with it like we learned about them I mean I guess we learned about them having the the deformed babies before but the idea that they kill it and you know I think it's not a it's not we didn't have enough time to explore like what that means and how Brightborn operates. And I think that there's a difference between like, Oh, this, this newborn baby is so deformed that it is living in agony versus like, Oh, this baby's blind. And, and Kendra was like, Oh, so they're going to, you know, Brightborn's going to kill my blind baby. Cause that's a flaw, which to me was not the evidence that I saw in that video. Like there's just all these complex ideas and complex morality that I would have loved to see it, the show explore over the season, but instead we explored it in one episode, and so it ended up feeling like not, not as satisfying as I wanted it to, even though I think it's good questions and the show can be smart in other ways that kind of drop the ball on that element. Absolutely. Um, and, and I think, I think that's a, just that idea of rather than, you know, and I think contrasting Jessica Jones and Orphan Black with this is a really great way to highlight it, Orphan Black 
tries to reach complexity through complication mm-hmm. and with especially with its villains and Jessica Jones takes an incredibly simple setup and through that it explores an entire world of complexities of of their interactions and what they're saying about our world um complication is not complexity and the the way that they keep trying to just add layers of confusion basically um and this this season really stripped away a lot of that i thought by just mm-hmm. like basically getting rid of all the caster stuff the military stuff gets like rebooting and resetting and going back to the neolution thing um but yeah I, I just think while again individual moments uh individual scenes the the general direction general direction of the season i think <laughs> has been a significant improvement for the show i'm much more interested in like what the next season will be for example than i was yeah. at this point last year but um but yeah it just seems like i keep i keep wanting the show to reach that next gear and i think i just have to accept that it probably never will yeah yeah i think that it's characters are so strong and like Every time I watch an episode, I always forget Tatiana plays all the clones. And there's so... I mean, I just... Mar- I will never stop marveling at that. Like, her performances are just... It is impossible to overpraise it. It is just so good. There's points where I'm like, oh, it's such a bummer that the actor that plays Donnie doesn't get to hang out with Tatiana because he's never with her. And I'm like, oh, no, all of his scenes are with her. But I genuinely do not think of Allison as... Allison especially is like... A, yeah. like I'm like, no, that's not... That's not Tatiana Maslany. I don't yeah. believe you. Uh-huh. Um, so that, the performance stuff is also good. And then, like you said, like, there's just an element of that, that it, element of the rest that it can't quite pull together. I found these, like, bots, the, like, little cheek worms, to be a mm-hmm. really uninteresting, unintelligible foil for the clones. Because it's sort of like we're pitting clones against, you know, genetic manipulation happening in live people. It just felt like that was not... They did not, I didn't understand how they were, like, equal to one another. I didn't understand, just, like, on a pure intellectual level, like, what, you know, I see what they were going for last season. Like, let's juxtapose the female Lita clones versus the male caster clones. And like you said, it it wasn't successful, but I see what the point was. And I feel like I'm struggling to even understand this bot thing just on, like, a purely intellectual level. And I guess it doesn't matter. We've sort of, like, wiped the slate of that. (laughs) And I like these characters enough, and I like the sort of the production values of the show enough that I will keep watching forever. Like, I think it's so engaging and watchable, but I think you're right that it it hasn't quite been able to level up to something just a little bit stronger. Yeah. Yep. Well, uh, at least there's been some delightful delightful moments along the way. And, like, just, like, I, I love that they just keep Adele drunk. Yeah. I like that they don't try to fix her and just like they don't really try to fix most of their characters. Um, and like you said, Hel- uh, Helena coming back with the crossbow was delightful. So good. Um, so at least at least we'll always have Helena and her crossbow. Or, yeah. <laughs> or, or not, it, was, it was a bow and arrow. It wasn't a crossbow. Um, but uh, let's move on. Speaking of violence and crossbows, uh, we had we had that one preacher in their first episode. This episode, episode two, we get a chainsaw. Um, how are you feeling about about preacher? And what do you think about C? Uh, definitely super into preacher. This is this like let's do a weird genre thing centered on a priest is like my just my favorite type of show. I just really <laughs> like shows that are dealing with both religion and genre things. So I'm definitely um, on board for that. I think I liked the second episode a lot less than I liked the pilot mm-hmm. um i thought it it didn't quite I'm, i was unsurprised that it had less action scenes because i think you're gonna get like a bigger budget for your pilot um but i thought it didn't with the sort of downtime it had it didn't quite do enough character or world building or quite as much as i wanted it to and i'm really interested in the 
structure and the pacing. It reminds me actually of Sense8, which is a show that I think very much like Preacher's doing sort of just throws the audience into the deep end and assumes, okay, they're going to stick around as we lay the pieces out, as we slowly reveal um, that how everything comes together. So at this point, I like trust that, okay, someday I'll understand what that 1881 prologue was about. And I'll understand, you know, all these little tidbits that are being dropped, but it's not holding my hand to the point of being on the edge of frustrating, mm -hmm. um, which again, like I'm, I'm into this show, so it's not a problem for me, but I wonder if that's going to be a problem for like slightly more casual fans, especially like I haven't read the source material and I feel like if you, this is not your ideal genre and you haven't read the source material, I wonder if this is going to be like a little bit too obtuse for people. Yeah, I can, I can see that. I actually like this episode more than the pilot. Yeah, uh, I saw somebody else said that too, so maybe this was just a weird thing that I had. Well, I think it also depends on how you reacted to the pilot. And so for yeah. me, like the fact that we don't have the flashbacks to uh to the preacher's father is great. I was like, oh yay, thank you. Yeah. That was not a fan of that. Um I also I I think there I like the character interactions. We get a little bit more with um with uh Tulip? Yeah. Tulip and and Jesse, uh, that kind of back and forth, especially like when he gets tased and no, it's just her, uh, yeah. was, was a really nice, uh, subversion of expectations there. Um, I was not particularly enjoying Cassidy in the first episode. I liked him more here. Um, so I think it, it's just some, some of that kind of all, it, it all kind of came together more for me or like, I think it was more totally consistent in mm -hmm. this episode. Um, and also, I, I was really struck by several of the visuals. There's some really gorgeous shots that yeah. um, that I was appreciating in it as well. So for, I think even more than, um, or maybe it was just because like Tulip's in more of this episode, um, and she's was the best thing about the pilot as far as I was concerned. Um, and also just it's a shorter runtime. Uh, I had for me the pilot was was too long. So, um, or it was doing a lot more. But, and I commented on this last week, it felt more like pieces, different pieces. And then, and it was really committing to the tone of each one. Like the airplane was just ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the stuff with the, the, with the preacher and, and his, his parishioners, uh, was, was much more grounded. So I, you know, I think that they, um, I, I think that they, they kind of blend some of the different ideas together totally in this episode in a way that I enjoyed more. Um, I also was just enjoying just the slapstick comedy of the fight with the yeah. chainsaw and everything. Um, so we'll see. I don't know. I because for me it was a I like this version of the show a little bit more. Yeah. For you, you liked it less. You were engaged yeah. by it less. Um, and I, I, I'm just so willing to go with shows. I think I need to start acknowledging that that is not how other people watch TV. <laughs> I do not need answers. I am not bothered. Like never once was I with loss. Like I need to know what the smoke smoke monster is. I, that's not a thing I care about when I'm watching television. So um, I think I was just more able to just go along with this one. Maybe I'm it's kind of, just getting comfortable with what the world feels like. Like the show teaching me how to watch it. I don't know. Totally. And I'm with you on the idea of like, I don't need answers to everything, but I think if you're not going to be that sort of like, answer driven show I just wanted a little bit more from the character development mm -hmm. or the world building or whatever like I didn't feel like it was odd I think to end the pilot with the you know the guy ripping the heart out and clearly that is word that has gotten to the congregation but like we don't see Jesse respond to that at all like it's like he hasn't even known that that's happened mm -hmm. he's knocked out for most of the episode anyway so like I, I wanted him to 
maybe again, it's just a pacing thing. I wanted him to sort of come to terms with this earlier. Um, what I thought was so successful, like you said, was the Jesse Tulip stuff and especially the Jesse Cassidy stuff. I thought their like dynamic and their chemistry was just really, really great. So those things have me excited. I just wanted a little bit more of that because I don't mind it being a slower episode. I just, and maybe this is just me being a little too particular about like fit my expectations. Yeah. Um, but I wanted just a little bit more um, of the characters. Again, it's the second episode, so I'm like you. Like, I'm totally willing to stick and see where this show's going. Um, but, but yeah, there were just, there was just, it was a little bit less sort of, like, immediately engaging to me. Oh, fair enough. Pilot. Fair enough. Well, what wins your week in genre? Um, I guess I will give it to, you know what? Well... I feel like I've had equal complaints about all of these. I'll give it to Preacher because I'm going to be the eternal optimist and say that even though it wasn't my favorite episode of the two, um, I think that it's a show that I'm really going to end up loving. Yeah, I'm, I don't know what to give it to of these. Uh, so I'll give it to Penny Dreadful, I guess, uh, which we didn't talk about. Uh, but I, I enjoyed um, the way that that episode built on what we had seen previously and resolved some of the, not all, but some of the stuff with Ethan. Um, Can we give it just to the scene of Liana Mormont in Game of Thrones? and her? Oh, totally. We'll give it just that specific just scene that specific can win our scene. week in genre. Yeah, yeah. Though I, I'm more positive on Game of Thrones this week than you are, but, but still, yeah, that, why not? Why not? Uh, now we'll take a break and we'll come back with our week in drama. The dust in day Blind as snow But give a hint of a view To make it feel In drama, I'm going to talk briefly about the Americans finale, Persona Non Grata. Uh, then we'll talk about Feed the Beast, uh, Pilot Light, which had its first episode. Um, and then and then we'll have some fun with Unreal, uh, its season two premiere, War. Uh, so uh, the Americans finale, just very briefly, there's going to be a lengthy discussion of the Americans next week, listeners. Um, but uh, I, I, you know, we got some really great stuff in this finale. Um, similar to last season, it, it wasn't as um, it didn't feel as climactic. It didn't the season didn't build as strongly to the. In, to the end of the season, um, they sort of surprise. They kind of throw a left, there's a curveball um, about, you know, three quarters of the way through this episode, um, which I think is effective. I was hoping, you know, the first two seasons have really satisfying and enticing finales. Uh, the third season ends with a finale that feels like a part one. And then the, then the next season, season four, is going to be the part two. So it's like like the idea that the next season is a two-season story and the season three finale is the midpoint, which then would theoretically mean that the season four finale would be an endpoint, only that didn't happen. Um, 
but the, some of the stuff we were getting here was really great. I really liked the stuff that we got with Paige. I continue to really enjoy the way that the show handles that stuff. Um, Dylan Baker got so much to do. That was very, very interesting. And um, the question of what comes next is a very intriguing one so that will be explored more next week so let's instead move on to feed the beast pilot light uh caroline i wasn't gonna watch this one and then i found out that you had watched it. i was like ah damn it i suppose i will watch it too i i i was really entertained um a few weeks back when i was watching um something on amc and an ad came up for amc about how they have the best the most original the most creative and critically acclaimed television and all I'm like I'm like uh, Better Call Saul, awesome! I'm right there with you. Really great show. And then all the other shows that they show are showing clips from. I'm like, why do you guys think this is original? Why do you think that this is creative? Why do you think this is not a story that like the entire network has you know which was for a while so creative and and so ahead of the curve has just not moved, not changed, and is telling worse versions of the same stories as a whole than it was doing five years ago um just remember when rubicon was a thing you know oh yeah yeah instead we get instead of shows like rubicon we're now getting shows like feed the beast um yeah hold and catch fire is coming back and that'll be the saving grace for me for amc anyways uh what did you think of feed the beast and were you glad you checked this one out yeah it's funny i only watched it because i watched the preacher episode live and it came on right after and i was like well that's another show to talk about this week absolutely uh, so this is the David Schwimmer chef mob drama um, that I think that this is such a it's just such a telling show because like it was fine in execution like you know what I it was not unwatchable there were engaging things there were good performances um, I, it is to some extent like yes I have not seen a show about a chef and a mob before so in that specific category I guess you can say it's unique but. I mean, I mean the Sopranos. Res- yeah. <laughs> um, my <laughs> dominant response was just like, why does this show exist? Like, why? This is not, in every other category, it is not unique. Like, it is a brooding male anti-hero-esque drama, or it is a brooding male, like, my family is dead drama. It just does not, it just does, it, we've just seen so many of these before, and this doesn't feel like, it's adding anything interesting to the mix and it's just frustrating to see the sh- I mean does AMC even make shows about women like there aren't are there Hold any AMC fire. shows is that a woman isn't it Lee Pace isn't he the lead uh, n- that was season one season okay, two okay, the okay. ladies took over and the show got okay, way good. better <laughs> good that's good um it just seems though like that this is a, such an uninteresting approach I mean like Silicon Valley like there are no women on this show like there's Clearly, they're setting up one woman to to be the the token girl, but this is there. It's all white men. Like that's the entire show, and it, we just have to say then that the show is sexist and racist. Like I just don't know another way to put it. Like mm-hmm. again, it can be good, but to just center a show on this perspective, and to say we had a black woman, but now she's dead, and we have a you know a mixed race son who doesn't speak. Like it just like. I just don't understand why this show needed to exist, which is, like, separate from me disliking it somehow, even though I can't say it was, like, a particularly strong pilot. But, again, like, it is watchable to some degree. We talked about off mic, like, David Twimmer's giving a very nice performance, and I think he's a good performer, and and there's stuff to like here, but just, 
why is my is my dominant question, I think. Oh, you are so much kinder to this one <laughs> than I am because I think it's terrible. I think it's yeah. fucking terrible. Now, yes, it is competently made and it features yeah. talented actors, but I oh man, there's one point when the um the the mob guy references, "Oh, you know why they call me the tooth fairy?" And I was like, "Oh god, why am I not watching season 3 of Hannibal right now? It'd be so yeah. much better." <laughs> um this this pilot is like a checklist of yeah. of of tortured white male protagonist. So um, as and, and and the really the pilot just spools out in that way as you watch it. It's like oh, it's a rebel badass, you know, a rebel uh, you know guy who's in jail. A rebel badass chef. He's a chef, but everybody likes him. So he's he's in jail, so he's a bad guy, but everybody likes him, so he's not really a bad guy. And it's like. And uh, he's sassy, but he's, he's difficult, but he's talented, so that makes it okay. Um, and he does drugs. He, he's he's snorting coke and having sex with his lawyer in jail. And I was like, within five minutes, I was like, oh, God, yeah. I hate this show. Yeah. Uh, maybe it'll win me back. And then it didn't. And then you have David Schwimmer, and so you're like, and then here's our more sympathetic guy. And he's got, he's he's a, he's a, like, failing father oh but he mentions he's got his wife he's getting his wife flowers i wonder if she's gonna be dead and that's why he's, yep yep he's in the graveyard in mourning and he's an alcoholic of and course, he's an alcoholic we, we need to have both a drug addict and an alcoholic in this show because like you said playing prestige drama bingo you gotta get both of those in there it really it's freaking prestige drama bingo and when they're like what what options do we have i mean we have to do this i mean like no no you don't you don't have to do this. You don't have to endanger your child by getting involved with this person who burned down your last restaurant. Why? Like, I just, I couldn't buy into any motivation for any of the characters yeah. except the Sturgis character because who's doing what he's doing because he's a self-entitled dick, yeah. basically. Like, he's doing what he's, you know, he's throwing his this friend and his son under the bus to save his skin because he took money from a mob boss and then burned down the restaurant. So, I mean, like, why should I feel bad for this guy? Why should I be engaged? Like, when you're, we watch shows um, with fascinating anti-heroes, so you got mm-hmm. your Sopranos, you got your, um, for me, Breaking Bad, for mm-hmm. other people, he starts as a hero and becomes an anti-hero, or, or um, uh, Mad Men. Um, we start out by, we, we start out with these being fascinating intriguing characters that we haven't seen these are completely shallow completely uninteresting characters in this in in this pilot and um the show just tries to use these cheap tricks to get us to like them or to get us to sympathize them i'm sorry david schwimmer is character i don't care about your dead wife and i don't care about like if your son won't talk and it's been nine years and you're doing the best you can the fact that your son is failing it might be better off in a different living situation I'm with your son. I'm not with you for this. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I just think it's terrible. And just <laughs> an example, it's regardless of how well made it is, you're so much more willing to give it, like, leeway. And there's lots of shows that have um, mediocre or poor pilots that turn things around and get much better. I really didn't like the pilot of um, Hall to Catch Fire either. Mm-hmm. I didn't like the first season of that. And I loved the second season. So who knows what they can do but i just i don't have time i don't have time in my viewing life for entitled um middle-aged white guys um and the and the problems they get themselves into there's no sense of inevitability to what happens in this this is just yeah 
people feel like I deserve of my own restaurant because it's like, well, why don't you go work at somebody else's restaurant? If you're yeah. a great <laughs> chef, why don't you go get a job as a line cook and pay back the ridiculous amounts of money that you owe out of that savings rather than I deserve to have my own Greek inspired restaurants I and mean, we have to have cedar. We can't have pine. Oh, my God. So I've just been ranting so much. Uh, do you have any of the thoughts? No, I love it. Um, I love your rant, first of all. But I think it, it comes down to, because I, I don't think either of us feel that, like, oh, you can't center stories on white men. Like, we no. spent a lot of this episode talking about shows we love that center on white men and mm-hmm. shows we've loved in the past that have. It's just that what happens, and this ties into the Chicago Reader piece we talked about at the beginning, but, like, when you keep telling the same story over and over again, it is just uninteresting. And right now, we happen to be, you know, if we only had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of movies only about black women, that would also be boring. It is just boring when your entire media landscape is telling one type of story. And to have a show that, like, you think, oh, chef drama, you don't think, oh, that needs to immediately have all of the prestige things. So it feels like they're taking, they're very lazily taking the tropes that have made other shows successful, just sticking it into, you know, essentially a Mad Libs. Like, okay, what should this anti-hero, alcoholic, sad sack father with a dead wife be? Spin the wheel and he's a chef, you know? Like, mm-hmm. it, at some point, like, okay, we've had it. We've had it with the teacher in Breaking Bad. We've had it with the ad, uh, ad um, person in Mad Men. Like, we don't need to keep telling this story and just changing out the, the location and the job. Um, so that is like not even a concern about representation. That's just a concern about interesting stories. And and if you are going to tell a story about white men who are really overrepresented in our media, I think you have to work a little bit harder to find a unique spin on that. And that this show does not do that. Like if we can play prestige bingo with it, that means that it's not telling a unique story. Um, so yeah, I think that that's that that's just it's just disappointing to see and maybe i'm only less ranty because i just have come to expect it at some point and and it's like oh yeah this is how it is here's another one of these but yeah it's it's a it's a frustrating example of just like a mediocre concept beyond even the execution it's just a lazy concept and that is frustrating when we're supposed to be in this era of peak tv and so many different kinds of stories and and so many different things get told like how how are we still at the point where you can make a show with no women and all of these cliches? It just seems like, I don't know, we should be past this at this point and we're not. And that's mm-hmm. depressing and yeah. ridiculous. Well, I mean, this is, I mentioned another show about a middle-aged white guy with entitlement issues in my rant and that's Better Call Saul. And that show's mm-hmm. awesome. That show's really great as far as I'm concerned. Um, and, uh, so so it's not it's not like you can't tell yeah. stories I want to watch about overrepresented groups. You absolutely yeah. can. Uh, but this is just the low winter sun of yeah. it's the latest low winter sun is what it is. And it's going for these same shock tactics that we tr- uh, criticize Game of Thrones for um, to try to justify its existence. And I mean, no, I, D- David Schwimmer, get a better project because I yeah. really enjoy he's quite him. good in this. Actually, he was yeah. definitely the highlight for me, like his. It's a different take than, I mean, obviously than Ross. Like, it's a very different show. But but it's very, like, a very human and sort of warm performance that just is not, does not, should not be in this show. It should be in a better vehicle. Yeah. And it's just, I just can't get past that. It, like, lots of people would love to have their own restaurant. And the restaurant business is 
a notoriously impossibly difficult one. Most people who do manage to open up a restaurant do not succeed with it. So this notion that like they're going to go into this uh, like that, that, that because they're so good, they deserve it's like so everybody yeah. else <laughs> who, who who wants who has the dream of having a restaurant just like. I mean, I just, I, I just don't have any patience. I don't have any patience for Feed the Beast. But you know what I do have patience for? Unreal War Season 2. I'm so glad it's back. It just, like, washes the palate, cleanses the palate of all of the badness of Feed the Beast, um, at least for me. What did, what did you think about this premiere? Yeah, I'm so glad Unreal's back, too. Like, talk about, I mean, I sort of, like, generous, generously called Feed the Beast watchable in the sense that, like, I didn't hate each like individual thing that was unfolding but unreal is truly watchable in the sense that i want to immediately watch it and keep watching it forever um so i was so happy to have it back i think i have like some little quibbles about the start of the season and things that maybe i would have liked to see them do differently but like overall i'm just so thrilled it's back and i think that the the performances are amazing the quinn rachel relationship is so fascinating and complex and i am just super like, I was annoyed that I couldn't immediately watch the second episode after Me I finished too. this one. Yeah. <laughs> no, I definitely needed the second episode. Right? What if it was like, okay, finish. Next. There are no next. Oh, man. Um, yeah. Like you said, that central relationship is really fantastic. I was a little disappointed that they re- reset everything so quickly. Yeah. At the too. end of the premiere. So I'm hoping that something that will morph quickly and the 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 level of, of self-awareness i was really enjoying because i think that can get a little old quickly but so far i was i was really enjoying the level of self-awareness so like, can we not say the r word you know like all this awareness about um you know other other criticisms of the show or uh, just the culture around television which mm-hmm. they can take advantage of the setting of, of, of unreal to really explore i thought that all worked really well and um yeah it's just watching rachel convince herself that everything she's doing is worthwhile because she's making history because they have a black suitor um was just wonderful wonderful to watch it's like i was like i in some ways i'm agreeing with you i'm not i like rachel this is a big deal for your show and for uh, the reality television of your universe but i mean you're trying a little too hard to convince yourself yeah what I love about Rachel is it's so it's her job to essentially lie to everyone in order to get them to do whatever she wants. Like that's her skill and that's what she brings to being a producer. And you, A, you can never tell when she's actually doing that and when she believes what she says. And B, you can't tell how much she's doing that to herself mm-hmm. and how much she's aware of what she's saying is a lie. And I think that's so complex and so smart. And you have like that scene where she's trying to convince the black activists to come be on the show. And, and you're like, are these do you believe what you're telling? Like, she's essentially telling her, like, you're going to get, you know, a big, a big platform um, for the things you believe in. And you're also like, TV can change the world. And like, does she believe that? Is that all a lie? Is that half a lie and half true? It's like so smart and interesting. And um, I'm really interested. I think so. Like, Feed the Beast is, it is trying to be prestige television. So therefore, when we discuss it, we discuss it like in that prestige television genre. Um, I think Unreal I'm not quite sure what Unreal thinks it is. What Unreal has been marketed as and discussed as is, like, a soapy, like, almost guilty pleasure show. Um, And I think that that's such a ridiculous thing. Like, what we're essentially saying is that prestige and, and, um, like, guilty pleasure, that those are not words that talk about quality at all. Those are words that now we're talking about, 
I don't know, gender. Like, yeah. prestige means it's a guy show and soapy means it's a girl show. Like, I don't really know. I don't, I don't really know another way to put that. Like, Scandal, Soapy, any, Grey's Anatomy is Soapy, the Guilty Pleasure, this Unreal is a Guilty Pleasure. But I think Unreal is far smarter than Feed the Beast, even if it is more exaggerated and heightened. So it's not that sort of, like, grounded drama, but, like, it is prestige in a different way. Like, it is a well-constructed drama. Wouldn't that make it, like, a prestige drama? I just think these words are are becoming meaningless and in a way it's sort of like devaluing these really cool women-led stories that are maybe playing around with different genre tropes. Um, or something like Jane the Virgin, which obviously is like a comedy, but it's a really successful show. And to write it off as like, oh, the fun show or the guilty pleasure show or the silly show, that just seems ridiculous to me because it's so good at achieving what it wants to be. It just doesn't want to be a white male anti-hero drama. So like, I don't know. We need we need to re re come up with our vocabulary for TV or something to indicate these shows that are so great but just don't fit into this like cookie cutter mold of a prestige drama. See, I I absolutely think of Unreal as a prestige drama. Do you? So, oh, totally. Well, I mean, I, and I think that that also can just be again the delightful self selecting bubble of social media yeah. <laughs> where everyone I know can't wait for this one. It talks mm-hmm. about constantly how how great a show how how strong a first season it had and how great these lead characters are and the performances and you know like as far as i'm concerned like like just think about the americans had its finale this week that is a truly fantastic amazing great show really smart really um interested in in its characters and their world and their motivations but so much more than that um but then look at all the other shows that we talked about this week Unreal is definitely the smartest of the hour logs. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I think you could argue about Veep, what it's saying about our American political system. Yeah. I think there's a lot of smart commentary happening there, but, but it's like Veep and Unreal <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. And um, yeah, it's just, again, I think it's just necess- maybe it's just this, the way I approach the show. Like, yeah. I would never define Feed the Beast as prestige television, but that's so clearly what they want, what AMC yes. and what that show wants you to think of it as, um, that they're, they're playing, trying to play prestige t- TV bingo and just missing the point entirely. Uh, whereas Unreal, on the most part, I think uh, comes back really strong um, and really establishes the, its second season well. The question marks I have about this season are the ones that everybody else has also raised. Um I don't. I negative. It's not that I don't care. I negative care about Jeremy. He needs to be yeah, gone. Me too. So boring. Yeah, and you can I already... thought he would be gone for sure. I'm like, I don't want to have to deal with you anymore. Oh yeah, you could already see where that's heading when he wants to try to get the footage of people slamming Rachel, and he's talking with the you know her mom, trying to basically engineer something where she has is forced onto meds or um, is not considered competent to make decisions for herself or something it's like clearly he, that's something that he's scheming towards um i think that the mra stuff um is makes sense for that character um and could go somewhere interesting um but i i just i'm, I'm hoping that with quinn and rachel we get something more complex and genuine than just Quinn let, can't let go and she's making the same mistakes that she's criticizing Rachel for I'm hoping mm. that there's more nuance to that and yeah. so that we're gonna get something the the reestablishing of their dynamic from the last season um, is going to be um, something that is uh, 
lasts for a few episodes, but it doesn't take the whole season. Because I really, I, I don't need a lot from the show specifically. Like, there are not certain beats that I really kind of need them to hit. But I need there to be some level of genuineness to the connection between the two of them. And for mm-hmm. it, I, I need Quinn, on Quinn's part, for there to be... Uh, a level of awareness and connection with Rachel and a pride and respect for her um, and for her to not just be another pawn. Yeah. Um, and, and we got that last season and we think we get that in that premiere. I really like the way that the, the premiere ends with her saying, you're my girl. I'm with you, you know? Um, so I'm just hoping that the show is not turning this into like a Walt and Jesse situation. I think it's almost a show that's so, it's so good, but it it's dealing with so many complicated things that, like, makes me nervous that it's going to get them wrong, even though yeah. it has not given me evidence it'll, it'll get them wrong. I've just seen so many other shows get it wrong. Yeah. Because um, that's how I feel about the show's handling of race, which I think is a way more prominent theme this year than it was, wasn't, was, like, a maybe a small runner last year, but mm-hmm. it's a big thing with having the first um, black bachelor, whatever, however they, they don't think they use the term bachelor, no, but whatever phrase suitor they use. or something. Suitor, yeah, you're right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the first black suitor, which is crazy that it's, preempted that actually happening on the real bachelor um so i think race is going to be such a big theme and you have one of the contestants who is um an activist and there was nothing in the episode itself that that i felt like oh the show got this wrong but it's one of those topics that i hope that the production team had a lot of like people of color and specifically black writers contributing to um so that was just one of those things that i was like oh keep an eye on this because a lot of shows get it wrong which doesn't necessarily mean unreal is going to get it wrong um, I the part that I disliked the most about this was the Chet becoming like the men's right activist, men's rights activist, like really crazy machismo guy. Just because I felt like it was it's simple. It's easy to boil down sexism into like really patriarchal, over the top nineteen fifties man versus a woman, and I actually think that that is ninety nine percent of the time not how sexism actually works. So to reduce it to that is like, boring, even if it seems, like, edgier, that they have to go up against this guy who is so blatantly, like, women shouldn't have power. It's, like, the the way sexism works is not that overt anymore. It's more subtle, and that's why it's so hard to fight. And I think this season one, the situation was a little bit less simplistic, so it, it led it to be more complex and realistic in terms of how these women struggled for power. And so, again, we've only seen the first episode, so I'm gonna give Unreal, like, a lot of credit here and a lot of leeway and assume that they're gonna get you know be really smart with how they deal with this but I think that positioning Chet as such a black and white bad guy misogynist is boring or uninteresting compared to like all the little ways that women in power aren't allowed to claim that power so maybe it was just like a an easier setup for the to get us going and then it'll get more complex after that but that was probably my biggest like red flag about the pilots or about sorry about the second episode of the premiere because I think that the rest of it was so strong. Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair, and uh, hopefully that that is something that we'll see continue to grow and develop um, throughout the season. Uh, one of the elements we haven't mentioned yet that I really enjoyed was so far what they're doing with, with it's Madison, right? Yeah, yeah. I really like what they're doing with that in this episode, which I wasn't necessarily anticipating. Not at um, all. Yeah. But that was that was a nice little surprise. Even just like the comedy beat of "Hey, so uh, the racist wants to move out from yeah. <laughs> the room," like so we can just do that, right? It's like, oh my god, 
you are gonna get berated and you don't deserve it because no one does but if anyone does you kind of do um <laughs> that's just so oblivious um uh, so so watching that character develop that was such a wonderful surprise the thing with her throwing up and and how that went that uh, i really am, am now very excited to see how she develops this season Agreed. And it's such a cool inroad to the world of being a producer, which was obviously we had Rachel as that inroad last year. I think it's really smart to bump Madison up. And essentially you have, I mean, they say this explicitly, but like Quinn has now become Chet. Rachel mm. has become Quinn. And I think Madison has become like Rachel before she was fully corrupted by this world. Yeah. Um, so it'll be curious to see. I think it's such a good and unexpected beat for, because you would assume, oh, this is going to break Madison and she's going to want to quit. But for yeah. her to be like broken by it, but also into it, it's mm-hmm. such a cool and smart and interesting and complex move. So I'm really excited by that too. Well, do you have any final thoughts about the Unreal premiere? No, I'm excited. My favorite parts of the show are seeing the like actual behind the scenes of this reality show. So I'm excited mm-hmm. for the, like, this was sort of like getting us into place for the new in-world mm-hmm. season. And I'm excited to like get back into the production side of things. Absolutely. I, I agree. And um, I just, I... I'm really excited about the racial politics for on this yeah. season, and I really I hope they stick the landing. I have confidence that I want to believe that they will. So we'll see how that develops. But uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of potential in this new season. Mm-hmm. This season of Unreal. So uh, with bated breath, <laughs> what wins your week in drama, Caroline? Well, I don't know. I'm really gonna have to think about it. Um, but no, of course I will give it to Unreal, which I like. I said so excited to keep watching this season. And I'll give it to the Americans since you give it to Unreal. Split the vote there a little bit, but uh, yeah, I'm you know I'm so excited about to not watch any more Feed the Beast. Very yeah. excited about that. <laughs> um, now we'll take a break and come back with our season spotlight on Grantchester season two. We'll be right back after this. I'm God and you're Adam. How are we going to go about finding your Eve, Sydney? I can't break the rules like you do. I don't break the rules. Yes, you do, Sydney. I'm a clergyman. I'm supposed to give her comfort, and you are a policeman. Are you going to tell me how to do my job now? Your time would be best spent praying for a family. Sydney! So, what do we do? You need to leave it to me. No. Where's he hiding? I won't let him hang. I will not let that happen. All right, that's enough. This is bigger than us. Leave them to struggle alone. We cannot do that. You've really got to know the person you do this with. Really trust them. Fine. Let's do our jobs. Where are we going? Back to the scene of the crime. This week, instead of the DVD shelf, uh, we're going to be doing a season spotlight on a show that I know is close to your heart, Caroline, and is one that uh, my Twitter feed certainly enjoys. But I had only caught one episode before this, so it was it was a lot of fun to really dive into the world of Grantchester, uh, which had its second season this year. Um, six episodes, uh, a se- season, the first season also six episodes. Uh, it's been renewed, right? Yeah, they're coming back for a third season. So, so let's start out with aside from obviously Hot Vicar, uh, what what uh, brought Grantchester to your attention initially, and what made you want to talk about it today? Yes, yeah, so I am so I love talking about this show. I think it's a like a very much a hidden gem, and I'm so excited to whenever I get to introduce other people to it. So I actually found out about it because my parents were watching it, and I think when you first hear about it, the setup is that it is a um, it's in 1950s England, a really small town. You have a detective, and then you have uh, he's more the, like the hardened older detective, and then you have a younger, as we said, hot like vicar um, who they wind up sort of pairing up together and solving mysteries, and the the 
the vicar's Sydney chambers and he, um, you know, he's not a detective, but he's good at sort of getting to know people and noticing the details. And so he sort of brings this other perspective. Um, so when you first hear that set up, you're like, oh, great. Like just a, a lovely like Sunday afternoon murder mystery show, um, you know, like your Hercule Poirot or, or what have you, like very easy to watch. And, and that it kind of fools you into thinking that's just what it is. But the more you watch it, it it's secretly an incredibly progressive show. Um, and it takes its 1950s setting and it's like, let's not just look at the people who we usually tell stories about the 1950s about, um, essentially like white people, which, um, are the two leads of the show, but then they end up getting into these sort of the underbelly of society and the hidden side of society and the society that is maybe most at risk, um, in this world. So in the first season they dealt with racism and they deal with, um, one of the other members of the clergy is gay. So sort of dealing with the reality of that. Um, they deal in this season with like abortion and with abuses of the church and, um, just they deal with like survivors of the Holocaust. They deal. it's like all of these people who are not the mainstream are the ones who end up getting roped into these stories. And so it's like very forward thinking in the way it's very casually like, oh, gay people existed in the 1950s and not, it wasn't always a witch trial. Like they also like lived lives and they tried to date and their friends were accepting to different degrees or black people existed in the 1950s or yeah, some white men were married to Asian women in the 1950s and they just had lives that were relatively normal. And, and that is, it doesn't sound that progressive, but it is so rare to see this sort of story told or to see that sort of lens put on it. And I think that, so I think that the, the Grandchester, the show is just so, I don't know, again, like it's so smart and that having it be a priest who is a person who like a lot of underprivileged people are going to come to and talk to. And he has a very empathetic worldview and he is constantly striving to like, he's not the person that's going to turn away the, the sort of people that are looked down upon by a society. And so I just think it's, it's very well acted and it's very well done. And it's got all those things you want from the like Sunday afternoon, um, British murder mystery show, but it's got like another little edge running through it. That is the thing that really keeps me sort of returning back to it. That that is, I think, a really great uh, element to start with the underrepresented voices in a period piece, and the like you said, the show's kind of just casual inclusion of, mm-hmm. of those characters, and like you say, that shouldn't be a big deal. But when the the Asian wife of the dead white guy shows up and nobody comments on it because it's not a big deal, that did feel really substantial it's huge. you never see asian people in 1950s stories it's like they don't i mean there's this great quote on psych where uh the tv show psych uh where they're doing some play and Dulé hill's character is like oh it was in the, why weren't there more black people and the person said it was in the 1800s and he goes oh so do you mean black people hadn't been invented yet like they <laughs> still existed and and it is a subtle thing and it's a little thing and you know the, notably the asian woman is not the lead in this case but yeah just including her at all feels feels like a big deal yeah well and it's also not necessarily what you expect from the sunday afternoon or my case when i grew up with these it was on thursday thursday murder mystery (laughs) on pbs uh where most of the time they're all white or Mm -hmm. if they are asian there's an unfortunate like chinatown scene yeah uh so it was nice to 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 get that different approach also i mean i had previously talked about the season two premiere on the televerse um and just having the the ep- that episode, which was the first one I had ever seen, center on a 15-year-old having an abortion. Yeah. Um, and the the very 
as far as I'm concerned, progressive discussion of it from the characters, certainly for the time period, but also just the show's clear argument that this is something that people need to have safe um, access to. Yeah. Or else... And specifically, I'm sure you said this at the time, but she ends up dying because she did not have access to safe abortion, Mm -hmm. a safe abortion, or anyone that supported her. So she did this really dangerous, illegal abortion attempt that ended up killing her. And so, like you said, it is this argument that... This needs to be safe and accessible for people or people will end up dying. Yeah. It's not like abortions aren't going to happen. It's mm-hmm. just that people like this character will die from them when they didn't need to. Um, and as the season progresses, you see the other fallout of that. Now, I was not anticipating that would so strongly drive the entire season because I hadn't seen the first season. I didn't know that's what this show does. So um, having watched the first episode months ago, or at least one or two months ago, um, and uh, coming back to the rest of the season here, it was a bit... it was a bit jarring for me, to, mm-hmm. to, to be honest. Um, and I kept, like, wondering, making sure I wasn't watching them out of order because I felt like I was missing something. So I don't... Mm-hmm. Like, I was felt like I was missing a few scenes because I just felt like the de- deterioration... Like, I, I basically... I don't connect to the show as strongly as you do. Yeah. And I look forward to talking about it with you. But I think, there, I think there are two elements that really shape that. And one of them is I don't believe any of the chemistry with Hot Vicar and his love interests. Any okay, of yeah. them. The 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 rich girl, Amanda. Yeah, the rich Amanda, the, the Any of them at all. Any saying. of them yeah. ever. So like when the the widow is helping him stitch up his arm and he's like yes. unbuttoning his shirt really slowly and you can tell that there's it's supposed to be a totally hot scene guy and it's yeah. just it's just not. Um so, so I think that really was not helpful because there's so much of the season that's, you know, or and even just so many scenes that are clearly included as a, you know, nod to the ladies with a little yeah. bit of the lens, uh, female gaze and lens, which just the inclusion of that is, is wonderful. But I just was not feeling any connection with any of the love interests. So I think that's part of it for me. But also I, I felt like I was missing scenes in the progression of some of the relationships, like like the mm-hmm. central pairing, and and I think it also could just be that I came in with such a strong sense of what the show was and was so wrong yeah. from having seen years, just like and this decades of br- small quaint British village yeah. murder <laughs> mysteries, you know. Um, so when when the that friendship is threatened, I'm like. Yeah, but they're going to work it out because they always do in these kinds of shows. Or when it looks like uh, when um, Chambers is accused of 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 having a relationship with a yeah. kid, you know, of child abuse, um, sexual misconduct. And, or when when his partner, when um, when Jordy is uh, accused of killing someone like they didn't do it. They're the heroes. Yeah. Uh, so I think some of that is is on me. And certainly, I, I marathon these that I think did not help. So I didn't have time to like think about each one and process. But um, but I do. You know, I, what's interesting to me is by the by the time the season ends, I think the way that they've continued to develop the themes of the season it works really really well. Um, and having having like, bringing back in episode six the the priest from episode or the mm-hmm. the vicar i should say from yeah, episode I would say one priest too because i was raised catholic so i've just used that yeah. word but uh i don't think that's actually the right word <laughs> yeah there's a bit too much uh hanky panky i would say for yeah. <laughs> for priests hopefully hopefully but um uh yeah so bringing back the colleague from the first episode in the last episode having that so many of the themes of the season come together in that speech about 
forgiveness and the strength it takes to forgive and and hope and everything the way that that came together actually in the last episode it kind of made the other episodes click for me mm-hmm. so what i think i would if i have the time to go back if i rewatch some of the earlier episodes like i already really yeah. like the first episode but like second third fourth i think knowing what show i'm watching now yeah. will make me really like it a lot more so i was sort of just like enjoying it um but not always seeing the connect not having a strong connection with it and not always seeing the really like feeling like i was missing missing scenes i think i would pick up a lot more on a lot more subtlety uh, of the performances and the writing now that i know to look for it and Mm -hmm. shame on me for not Mm -hmm. seeing it initially what do you think Mm -hmm. yeah i think that that all makes total sense i think a lot of season two is like a specific reaction to season one um so it is sort of like what I did with Veep, like, jumping in, I feel like, in a weird way, even though this seems like the ideal show to just, oh, it's a murder mystery, just jump into anyone and it's fine. Like, in a weird way, it is... It's not exactly serialized in the storytelling, but a little bit in terms of the emotional arcs. Because season one, they don't have... So season two has this running through line of um, a person who's up for the death penalty and sort of the friendship of Sydney and Jordy is... Uh, they really, they like literally come to blows because they have very different opinions on the death penalty. Um, so season one didn't have any sort of overarching like plot through line like that, really. Um, but season one's really about building up. Like we see Jordy and Sydney meet for the first time, and it's really about building up their friendship until the end. And then I think season two is attempting a little bit more to tear it apart um, and take them to a different place. And I think almost season one, I think, is a little bit more successful, like, in terms of each episode. Like, I think episodically, I liked it a little bit more. Actually, in season two, I thought the second episode, which dealt with, like, communism and communist spies, and then the third episode, which is the one you mentioned with, like, the the sexy lady who's, like, manipulating her husband, um, those were the weakest ones to me. I think that, like, on an episode-to-episode basis, season two might be a little weaker, but I feel like its themes are almost a little bit stronger. So, um, yeah, I think season one and season two are, like, sort of mirror images of each other. So I could see without without enough build-up, or like you said, like, without sort of watching for those things all the way through, it's, like, not functioning episodically as well as it could have and I think did in the first season even. Well, and I would also add, um, we, we watch... Uh, one of the things I was struggling with is we're watching... Um, we're watching our lead deteriorate throughout the yeah. course of the of the season because of the 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 death that happens in the premiere, and as I I was getting sort of confused as I was watching yeah. the season, going like, okay, obviously this is traumatic, and it's great that they're developing this. I kept wondering, like, wait, why is he upset again? Oh, is it still that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a murder every episode. Yeah. <laughs> People die all the time in this quaint, tiny village. So yeah. um, I feel like that's something that we all agree when we watch murder mystery shows. Like, no one mentions the fact that Miss, like, Miss Marple's entire village is murderers right, right. or dead people. Um, so so that was a little bit of a barrier for me as well. Now, it's, yeah. it's, in the first season, is it, again, a, a murder case every week? Yeah, it's the same thing. It's murder case every week. They just don't have the, like, the through line. Like, the way it's like, oh, we have this death penalty case we keep checking in on. They don't do anything like that. In the first season, it's just... I mean, it's still serialized in terms of, like, we see their relationships develop, but there's not such a central, like thematic through line through the whole thing also the first season sets up that so sydney's just kind of a mess the in the first season too like he holds it together better but he was in 
uh, World War Two, and it's he sort of has P- PTSD and is self medicating by essentially being an alcoholic. And there's like an episode in the per- or late in the first season where Sydney's like, Jordy, do you think you have a problem with alcohol? And Jordy's like, Yeah, our problem is we don't have any more. And then they just like, <laughs> keep drinking, and the show does not like attempt to be like. And then they figured it out, so they're just sort of like functioning alcoholics uh-huh. dealing with their own issues. So I totally get what you're saying with the like. There's an element of like don't think too much about the fact that these murders are happening all the time versus like invest heavily in this one and I think you're right that it probably doesn't work as well as it should I think that the like the idea is that this person on the death penalty it was like or who is who is under the threat of um being killed is one of Sydney's like specifically one of his parishioners and, and mm-hmm. like a person he has mentored a lot so that's why he's a little bit more invested mm-hmm. um but I I totally get your point that maybe that that was not quite at because they wanted it to be more of a small through line than like a central focus maybe it didn't get quite as much attention as it needed to yeah i think even if if we'd gotten uh if we hadn't dropped it so much after the first episode if there'd been a little bit more of that in the next couple of episodes or um because every now and again like parishioners will come up and be like you shouldn't be doing this vicar or whatever but (laughs) we all know that by the end like uh, again and that's not necessarily the case on grandchester but when you're watching any of these other shows that this this series very much draws from visually and from yes. this long tradition. So I don't feel I don't feel like I'm ste- you know out of bound or stepping out of school or whatever here to to make this association. Um, there's always going to be some grumbling, but like the hip new priest or vicar or whatever who's down with the young people or whatever. Um, th- those people, the the codgers, kind of come around and learn mm-hmm. their lesson by the end. Um, so maybe if there had been more of a through line of that in the season it, it would have worked a lot better for me because it was yeah. i thought it was very affecting and when they when they have the when they have things come really come to a head with the trial and the conflicting yeah. testimony i thought that actually was very effective and having i mean like you have a police officer and a and a vicar they should have very different beliefs and values as far as you know justice versus you know um revenge sort of forgiveness or yeah. forgiveness yeah absolutely and so having the show actively explore that in such a significant way i thought worked really well actually and we really that that really did did impress me so again i think that's the same idea where if i go back and watch it again i will know to look for that and i think that will will help my my read of the season um did you have a, a favorite episode mm, let's see i did like i did think the first episode was probably the strongest it was like on a purely episodic level. I thought that maybe that one was the strongest. Um, I think that the show, like I said, like it is trying to be this really progressive, really interesting show, and you can pick out so many things it's doing well. Like it's having a gay character in the fifties whose whose storyline is not defined by tragedy. It's sort of saying like, let's not just be like he is beaten and ostracized or his lover dies. It's like let's deal with the ups and downs of the reality of that. Um, but it, so it has that progressive side, but at the same time, it is, it is for all intents and purposes being, it does want to serve as a very, um, conventional Thursday night, uh, murder mystery. So it is, I do think maybe at at some point it blends those two things together well. And at other points they, it almost feels like it's two separate shows and you can maybe pull things out and be like, oh, these feel like they're in contrast to one another to a little bit. So I think that that maybe gets to your point of, of why there was like a little bit of a barrier for you to connect with. Cause it is sort of trying to serve two ma- It's trying to like sneak 
progressiveness into a conventional show, which is like, I think a tricky, a tricky thing to pull off. Yeah. Um, I have to ask if you have any ships in this show that you're invested in. Cause I gotta say the, the whole, I'm, I'm not a saint and then they're making out or whatever. I was like, yeah. yay, are we gonna, I'm like, I'm not feeling much chemistry here, but Hey, yeah, this yeah. is a step in the right direction. Yeah. I did like, so he, so Sydney, and this is a big part, actually, I guess the biggest through line of season one, and it's a season here and season two as well, is his, his, like, his, his long-standing platonic, but, like, questionably platonic friendship with this rich girl, and they're clearly both in love with each other, like, Jim and Pam on The Office style, but um, <laughs> they are from two different worlds, and she has to marry someone rich, and that, and so they're sort of torn away from each other, and that becomes a part of season two. That, I think, is the least successful part of the show for me, because... I'm just like, I think this is what you're saying about Feed the Beast earlier. Like, there's no real barrier here. Like, you're your own barrier. Like, Mm -hmm. just marry each other. You both like each other. Just, like, get it together. I don't understand why. You're just manufacturing drama, essentially. Mm -hmm. So that love story I'm not particularly invested in. I did like the new character. I think her name is Margaret. She's the, like, the secretary at the police station. And she ends up sort of, she's like the spunky, progressive 1950s woman. And she ends up um, hitting it off with, with Sydney. I... There, it's not a. I don't think this is a show I watch for that type of like romantic investment. So I, I like Sydney and Margaret together. I feel like the Amanda Sydney thing is like the show doesn't want to move away from that. They clearly really enjoy that dynamic, probably more than I do. Um, but I think if anything, it's like the the Jordy Sydney friendship is maybe the most important relationship in the show. Even if I'm not, I don't really want them to be together romantically. But it is an interesting. Um, dynamic and the second episode about those sort of communist spies again not my favorite episode of the show but I think does an interesting job of sort of diving into the Sydney Geordie friendship as indeed the rest of the season does and sort of you know they are so different and and Sydney's so optimistic and he has so much faith and empathy and Geordie's sort of hardened and cynical and he's just older and he's a family man and Sydney's signal single that's how Mm -hmm. you say that word um and yet there's sort of this like weird opposite attract Mm -hmm. element to their relationship um so yeah i don't i don't think it's a show i watch like for that shipping joy which believe me is how i watch many shows but i don't think that (laughs) this one in particular i just sort of enjoy sydney as his own like a beautiful greek god of a man that i can just enjoy (laughs) independently of a relationship yeah no i I would agree the the jordy and and sydney pairing is the otp here um not again for me not romantically but just again that's the dynamic that I'm by far the most invested in and yeah. the one that I think is, is works the best. I will say I was getting some pretty serious Father Ted feels. Serious with a big place in my heart. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, on, on the whole, I do think that... Um, I just I wish they would make that... If we're going to spend so much time with Cindy and Amanda, yeah. let's make that more interesting. And, yeah. and the fact that it's not like her husband is abusive. He's just like, they shouldn't have gotten married, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, which was I, my I biggest think that's problem good. in season one. I was like, yeah, there is an element of like, oh, this is interesting and realistic that it's that it people can just find themselves in unfortunate situations mm-hmm. that aren't life or death. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm like, just get together. Like, I don't understand what's yeah. holding you back. You're both just, I don't know. This is this is so manufactured to some well, extent. And because there's definite elements of of fantasy in this and in like uh, what we want this time to have been like or what we want this character yeah. to be like honestly like most of your vicars in the 50s are probably not gonna be like 
comparatively a-okay with abortion yeah um but the show and, like have gay friends and have yeah he's yeah. like a he's the dream i mean he's a progressive dream for 2016 like he's yeah. a pretty stellar figure i think it helps that they place him that he's the one fantasy figure within a what i think is more of a conventional world around him but i totally agree that like he's not realistic in the yeah. traditional sense at least yeah well and so when, when they're willing to do that with the, with their lead to be like oh but they can't because this yeah. time no one got divorced and like and it start to have some questions about yeah. that but yeah well do you have any any final thoughts on Grantchester season two or hopes for season three yeah well i'll just say that i think that my biggest draw more so than the relationships or you know, I like the themes and the progressiveness, but it's really like the performances too. I think James Norton is really fantastic as Sidney Chambers. I, after watching this, I watched him in this other British show called Happy Valley, where he plays like a psychopath rapist. And it was a very <laughs> upsetting um, double feature because he's so lovable as Sidney Chambers and so horrific as this other character on Happy Valley. But I think he's such a fantastic um, performer. And I think the same with Robson Green, who plays Geordie. Um, it's just really, it's really well done and at its simplest level, it has that appeal of the conventional murder mystery show and it has the beautiful costumes and the beautiful shots of the beautiful little village and the funny little, um, you know, British, uh, sort of, uh, housekeeper who's like trying to keep everyone in place and, oh, here's the nebbishy little guy and like all of those conventional things that you love. And then I think the progressiveness is like the little cherry on top that really sells me Mm -hmm. on it. Um, it's not a game-changing show like it is still a murder mystery show centered on a couple white guys um this is not like a blow your mind kind of a show I think but if you sort of like settle into its world you can really enjoy it for both the conventional things it does and for the sort of out of the box things that it does yeah and um I I I I agree I and I actually think I'll follow season three now that I have a stronger handle on, on what the show is and what it's doing. And I, I'm, I just, I would like to see some, you know, let, let's get, oh goodness, what is his name? The, the gay priest? Oh, Vicar. what is his name? Let, let, let's give him a, a, a happy relationship, right? Yeah. Like, that's what I want for season three. Like, as a through line, you know. Leonard. 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 Oh yeah, that's what I was thinking, Bernard. Leonard. Yeah. Um. Let's get Leonard a happy, successful, quiet yeah. relationship. Just like that's it moves at his pace, you know. Yeah. Uh, that's that's my number one hope for the next season. What about you? That's good. Um. Well, I'm so season this season two ends on like a pretty big cliffhanger, which I won't spoil. But I think that that will be a it will have to be game changing for season three in some way. So I will mm-hmm. be curious to see how that unfolds. Uh, I always like sort of. I guess I'm just really interested in how TV shows tackle religion. It's one of the reasons I was really into Daredevil. It's one of the reasons I'm really into Preacher. So I'm interested in how, again, this cliffhanger, like, affects Sidney's faith and his ability to be a priest, or a vicar, rather. Um, So, yeah, I would like to see the sort of, that religious side. Those are always my favorite moments when that sort of comes up in the show in a really heavy way. I think that's always really interesting. Yeah, and I mean, it should should be. When you talk about things that could threaten his position yeah (laughs) it's a that's a big one yeah (laughs) yeah i'm sure divorce exists at this point right yeah yeah. but yeah that would be scandalous yeah it'd be scandalous now yeah there's some scandals some scandals in store and it'll be interesting to see if the show approaches that from like the fantasy lens that they sometimes like you said paint Mm -hmm. sydney and or if it's like let's delve into the realism of 
this tearing everyone apart. Well, and it would be nice to actually see some consequences for some of these mm-hmm. things. You know, this notion of people stop coming to him because they think yeah. it's a bad example or like these yeah. other... It'd be nice to see, in, in one hand, like you said, the fantasy might might be a lot of fun, but it would also kind of be nice to see, no, there is fallout, and you yeah. are less respected in this community because people don't approve of some of your choices, and then maybe you can't get away with the drunkenly yeah. fondling the barmaid, yeah. you know? Which I do think they were trying to do with the, like, the death, him being anti-death penalty in mm-hmm. a town that was very pro-death penalty. I think they were trying to sort of examine the fallout of that but mm-hmm. again because it's first priority is being like an episodic murder mystery show that gets just a little bit put to the side so like you know it's not it's not a serialized in that way to really explore that it's more of like a small through line yeah no yeah i i that was one another one of those things that was coming up in this in this season i was just like mm, i don't know that i believe you but if the way that things escalate at the end of the season yeah. and the cliffhanger could certainly make that a much more central theme in the next yeah. season that's something i would certainly look forward to well thank you for getting me to watch grantchester and oh and, you're welcome maybe find... maybe season three you'll you'll really fall in love with it then. <laughs> fingers crossed i yeah. always that's always what i'm hoping for when i when we watch tv um well thank you so much caroline for coming on the podcast this week where, where can our listeners find you and your work online Oh, yeah. So I am um, at the AV Club mostly. You can also find me on court sometimes. Uh, and the best place to find me is on Twitter, where I'm at Caroline Cedo, which is C A R O L I N E S I E D E. Impossible to say, impossible to spell, but that's where I will be tweeting nonsense pretty much 24 7. Good to, well, especially this this coming, as people are listening to this, this coming uh, Sunday with the Tonys. We're excited, yes? Oh, yes, ma'am. Cannot wait as a loyal and avid Tony watcher, I feel like. I'm excited that I feel like this is the year that everyone will be watching them and I can, like, bring them all into this little world I've loved for so long. Good times, good times. Well, listeners can, of course, find me on Twitter at the television. You can read my rating at the AV Club. Where right now I'm covering Veep. Um, and you can also go into the back catalog if you so choose. Um, you can also... Uh, email the televerse uh the the podcast the televerse at gmail.com you can find it find us in itunes with an m4a chaptered feed and mp3 unchaptered feed you can find us on stitcher where you can leave us a rating review we did actually get uh another rating in itunes so thank you very much to whoever gave us that rating in itunes much appreciated we still don't have any ratings or reviews in stitcher so next time someone's like hey i listen via stitcher i need a show to rate or review consider the televerse um you can also find us on facebook and of course leave a comment at the website and uh and like i said i'm on twitter and i'm at the televerse there so uh thank you once more caroline for oh, talking thanks with for me. having me back and thank you everyone for listening we'll be back next week or i should say i will be back you will not be back no I will i'll be, be back. listening though <laughs> i'll be back next week with another episode of the televerse mm-hmm.